Cole Shack's Loop podcast, Strange Skies over Cole Shack's Loop. I'm coming to you here just to intro this episode we recorded back in December. Uh, a very fun conversation with a very great person. I really love Rob, and, and this is a really fun episode. There's definitely some moments here talking about, as as it tends to happen sometimes, some um, ex- explicit material, I, I could say, about some of the encounters. And also, when uh, uh, Robert and I start chiding each other back and forth at the end, you'll you'll hear that. that I just went ahead and kept it in. Definitely not suggested for all audiences, though, if you have young ones. You know, maybe not the best one, but this was a fun conversation. Uh, you can check out all his podcasts. We give all that information. But without further ado, here we go. After my enlightening conversation with the beautiful Helen Surtees, I ran a check through tax records and business licenses. The Max Match dating service was almost brand spanking new. No one knew where it came from or what other branches it had. It seemed to me that such mysterious origins warranted what we in the press call the midnight interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coal Shack's Loop, your podcast about all things Coal Shack. My name is Bradley. Uh, Robert will be here in a minute. We have our guest. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, he is. Uh, you'll see everything. I don't know where he keeps it all, but there's so much UFO knowledge he just sort of spreads out there that you, you, I mean, you on any given day, who knows what you find? You might find uh, one that looks like Kenny Rogers, a, 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 an alien that looks like Kenny Rogers, or you may see uh, one. One I want to talk talk about right off the bat is Gondola Man. Uh, <laughs> I saw him. He seems to be the uh, I don't know, like the new internet sensation that I've seen. Um, but before we get started, uh, Rob, is there anything else? Is there anything? How how would you introduce yourself? What would you say about your our strange skies? Is your is your first podcast we're talking about? Yeah, I, I started that in. 2017 and uh it was i had done a lot of consulting work with uh certain podcasts back in the day i was uh part of the uh, astonishing legends arc uh, back in 2016 2017 it was around the time of their mothman episodes that i joined up and i had just had a fascination with ufos for a few years, I had had a UFO sighting, so I had started just like giving cases for to podcasts to cover. So, like uh, one of the first cases that I ever successfully got anybody to cover is this case called the Mojave Incident, which uh, involved this uh, couple that was uh, abducted by aliens in the Mojave Desert. They had this like really kind of religious and transcendent experience and it affected them their entire lives and, and stuff like that and there were like two podcasts that covered it in the same week so it was like uh, that's, that's a little wild but after a while i just decided well why don't i start a podcast so in 2017 i started the our strange skies podcast and it's kind of gone through a, a few different iterations here and there it's uh been narrative driven which is the way that I like to do it, but I I can't do it as often anymore just because it it's a lot of work. It's like somewhere around 30 to 40 hours of work per episode. So right now we have uh, changed formats 
into uh, bringing on a uh, a co-host every week from the the paranormal world, the UFO world, the podcasting world. So yeah, our streets guys, if you if you dig UFOs and you like you know kind of offbeat UFO stories, because uh, that's generally what I cover. I I do cover some of the more well known ones, but I generally focus on obscure, and I tend to really take a shining to the, like the details of some cases that a lot of people just either leave out or don't think is important. But uh, uh, to me is as important as anything that's ever reported. But yeah, that's pretty much the Our Strange Guys podcast. Yeah. And in this podcast, so we focus on Kolshak's loop. We focus, of course, on Kolshak, the Night Stalker. And there's some people out there when we had Forrest on or we had Rich on where we sort of delved into like this stuff in real life. And one in particular, Stephen Doyle, he's one of our loyal listeners, but he's sort of like, you know, this is, this is a little out there for me to talk about it in the real life spectrum. So (laughs) we're going to definitely get into that territory today. We're going to talk about real life cases and stuff. And so, I mean, it's going to be out there. And so you just need to go ahead and get ready for that right now. But another thing I've really been enjoying. So I'd say I've listened to probably 60% of your Our Strange Skies, I I found it after, a a good bit after Astonishing Legends. And I'm real bad, especially if I'm at work or something, listening to a podcast, I'll I'll hear it and I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to check this out or whatever, and I'll completely forget about it. And so, and eventually I think I was actually at home one day when they mentioned you again, maybe this past year sometime or last year. I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to that. And they had, you had the Rich Adam, I listened to all the Rich Adam episodes which Rich Adam, he's always a uh, an interesting. Uh, he's a cool cat, no matter how, how you split that. So it's those are fun. But even the other ones were super interesting. And I'm like, and then it sort of coincided at, I mean, a little bit after you know, Astonishing uh, Legends started doing their certain you know crop circle episode and some of that stuff. So it was pretty cool. Uh, tonight I'm actually having with the uh, Astonishing glass, the Disco Wizard glass. I think it's oh, called yeah. like Alien <laughs> Secretion. It's a little bit of coconut rum and some uh, melon liqueur. And some pineapple juice. That's one thing. Oh, yeah. I, if that's one thing I learned from Rich, it was uh, never come to a podcast without a drink. He he taught me that. Um, that started to become a thing last year when we recorded the uh, the Astonishing Legends holiday episode. Uh, he he brought to the table his custom drink, and ever since then, they kind of just like pop up on other people's podcasts. Like yeah, a lot. yeah. He was on uh, this podcast. Uh, I I know he he brought something special to the table. So that that is Rich Adam. You know, boiled down is uh, he's got a mixed drink in his hand just about every time you record. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And but another another one of your podcasts that I love is uh rolling through the realms. So why don't you tell us about rolling through the realms? As here comes Robert rolling into this Zoom call. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, Rolling Through the Realms, I started it uh, last year. Uh, I had gotten back into playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it was towards, uh, it was around April of 2020. Uh, my friend started to uh, run a campaign, a Curse of Strahd campaign. And I'm like, uh, it was fun to reconnect with it because I hadn't played in about a decade or so. And uh, I would just approached some friends and I was like, Hey, you want to do a podcast? Cause you know, there's some lands I want to ex- explore some, you know, campaign settings and stuff like that. So uh, we started rolling through the realms, which is uh, kind of, it's, it's very Faerun 
uh, heavy and like Faerun is kind of uh, Wizards of the Coast, the people that make uh, Dungeons and Dragons products. It's kind of their home setting. And since then, we've been uh, we've been hanging out in Icewind Dale, dealing with Oral the Frost Maiden, who is this kind of she's a god that uh, nobody really knows why she's angry at uh, the uh, settlement known as Ten Towns, but. My players are trying to figure that out and uh, trying to survive in one of the harshest environments in the TTRPG world. So uh, if you enjoy, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, getting together, playing with your friends, uh, Rolling Through the Realms is definitely another podcast to check out. So and if you do enjoy that, I hope you do check it out. Yeah. And it's also one of those things where I know like Critical Role is God, I'm, God knows how many episodes. If you want yep. to get into, you know, rolling through the realms, I think you're on maybe episode 19 or 20. I'd, I'd have to check yep. my feed to see what I've listened to. Uh, but it's not too far along, and there's a lot of hilarity that ensues. Uh, but, yeah, that pretty much gets the background out of the way. And speaking of yep. uh, that, Robert, uh, how you been, man? You been doing all right? Good. Rob, I like your first name. Uh, yeah, it, I, I just want to say full out rob appreciation here because i don't talk to a lot of robs because it it seems like every time that uh i look into like baby naming and stuff like that it's like oh robert it's a name that's gone out of fashion like no get get out of here with that crap don't don't give me that it's it's still a great name and it's always great when there's another robert around that i can talk to i appreciate there you go. it yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm a '60s kid, so I'm pretty sure you could say that it could have been Robert Kennedy mm-hmm. uh, was an influence. But I have two Uncle Bobs and one cousin Robbie, there so it, it was more the Southern tradition of mm-hmm. having to name yourself, you know, or name your kid after somebody, and <laughs> uh, and that's why I got stuck with Robert because <laughs> because of that exact thing is I wasn't going to be a Bob and I didn't want to be a Robbie. Yeah, but you know, along the way, there've been all those variations. I've been a Bob, and when I played football, and I was a Rob when I was in college, and you know, I just kind of let it go. Just usually, just don't go with Robbie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was uh, that was what my mother called me. And anytime anybody calls me that, I'm like, nope, you're not my mom. You don't get to call me that. <laughs> that's that's not how it works. But yeah, I was uh, bestowed the name Robert from my grandfather. He literally complained that he had no grandkids named after him. So I go. I took it for that one. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um. Now, did you ever get any Robertos? Oh yeah. Um, thrown at you. Yeah. I got oh, a yeah. lot of those. My uh, uncle. Uh, because I used to work in a hardware store and uh, he used to work construction and he still kind of has his own business on the side. He, every time, uh, pretty much every day I'd see him. And first thing that he'd uh, say when he came in, Hey, what's Mexican with rubber toes, Roberto. I'm like, I want to punch you so bad. I want to punch you so bad. <laughs> Never heard that. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Well, hey, I named my son, my my son's middle name's Robert, my newest son, who was born in August uh, or September. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I forgot my son's birthday. It's, it's slipping by, <laughs> slipping away. My time is nigh. But because my, my dad's name's Robert, my grandpa's name is Robert, my wife, her dad's name is, her her grandpa is Robert, and on her other side, her grandpa is Robert. Good so, Lord Almighty. We got a lot of Roberts in the family. You do. I I am like living my best life right now, knowing that there's so many Roberts <laughs> out more there. more Roberts than like you can right shake, a, shake a stick at. 
Yes. But, you know, speaking of shaking sticks, I, I really, that's, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Robert. I'm sorry. So, Robert. Forced, Rob, how do you feel about forced segues? Uh, You're yes. a podcaster. What do you yeah. think? A segue is a segue, which is good. Mm-hmm. But what about a forced segue? What do you think I, about those? Uh, sometimes they share. are. They are, they can be very brutal to see, you know, take part in front of you. And it's just like, I understand you've got to get from point A to point B, but uh, yeah, maybe You'll next always time. have to make a connection obvious. Well, yeah. now, but now it's sort of like, I don't know, like it's sort of like this. So at one point I knew somebody who hated when somebody said roof instead of roof, mm-hmm. you know, thing that goes over your head but then i started saying in a joke manner but then i sort of got into habit where that was the way i said it no matter who i was around Mm -hmm. well now i've been trying to force segues because i know it gets under robert's nerves (laughs) but now now it's just become a habit that i can't break i think if i just just take you out of the driver's chair that's the issue is you're (laughs) you're you're producing the episode as it's going on and directing you're always trying to go to that next thing so if you just don't move to the next thing we won't have the segues (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But but tonight you got your buddy Rob on here. So I'm not really going to be driving anything. I mostly have a ton of questions about alien movies. That's about Mm -hmm. the most that I've got. So anyway, but yeah, Bradley, lead us, lead us on. So we'll start with Cole Shake. Of course, we're talking about the UFO episode. Uh, I forgot what the hell they named it. They are. They have been. They they will be. They aren't conjugating in latin i yeah, think that's something. what it is honestly something about that right right off the top terrible title for terrible title. <laughs> the worst the worst man it's so bad and the episode does fall a little flat too i guess as far as execution goes um but mm-hmm. i wanted to get into the so so rob and one thing that i talked about before you got on here robert was he he has the case file knowledge like he, he i imagine if robert you, you've probably never watched spongebob rob did you ever watch spongebob I caught a little bit of it because I was, uh, how old was I when I, when SpongeBob came out? Uh, yeah, I was probably, I was 16, I think at the time when it came out. So I caught a little bit of it, you know, if there wasn't anything on, you throw on Nickelodeon, there's SpongeBob. It reminds me of the episode of SpongeBob that they got all these little SpongeBob's in his head and they're looking Mm -hmm. through the file cabinets. That's, that's Rob on any given day. If you look at his Twitter. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, so Rob, here we're going to start out with this. Was we talked about Colshack and this aliens? Are there any files or mo's of this episode? You know that that fit the aliens and Colshack. And I know they probably won't fit them all. So let's. How about we go category by category? So, are there any invisible aliens? That's probably like the biggest category. In, I'm sure there are hundreds of cases, but just off the top of your head, are any invisible alien categories that you remember stories? Yeah, and uh, funny thing is, is they come from the same year. Uh, so there's two stories from 1989, and they actually took place like two days apart from each other in two very different places. Uh, the first was in Voronezh, Russia. There's this huge public landing, uh, and Voronezh is a city of nearly, I think, a million people. It's it's rather large, so. Uh, September 27th, 1989, there's this huge landing in this public park. There's pretty close to, I think, like 100 eyewitnesses or something like that that see this thing. And it's a kind of dome-shaped craft that lands on the ground. They see this rather tall, hulking alien get out. It's like, I think they said it was somewhere around 8 to 10 feet tall, had three eyes, 
very science fictiony in in many ways. It gets out and it gets out with this like tiny robot that just starts walking around. And they talked about the witnesses talked about how uh, the UFO would disappear and then reappear. Uh, and it did it, uh, I think, like two times. And at one point, this giant hulking alien takes out this like rod like device. He points it at a kid and he makes him disappear for about like two minutes or so until the craft just disappears and the kid ends up reappearing. It's a very strange case that uh, actually got some traction in the New York Times. The New York Times uh, did a small piece on it, but uh, it ended up sending uh, Jacques Vallée, who is a like well-known UFO researcher. He's the uh, inspiration for Claude Lacombe in, in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. So he goes, he investigates this case, finds the witnesses very credible, kids, adults. And it's just kind of one of those very odd cases that stands out. Two days later in Spain, in uh, a place called Canil, these four kids had actually been coming to this strange beat of this beach, like for about 15 days in a row. And they kept seeing this red uh, is kind of what they called it a, a red moon. It was a circular object that uh, was red in color. And it had these like four lights on them and they would strobe intermittently. And on the 15th night, which was the 29th September, this all culminated in the appearance of other objects that flew over their head. They ended up seeing these rather tall, eight foot tall, like they were like white, uh, whitish beings, like from head to toe, they had featureless faces and they end up like doing this weird thing where they sit down on the beach and they carve out this like uh, little trench that they lay down in and they shape shift into these um, very weird looking humans. One of them uh, actually had a really huge forehead, which kind of made it stand out. The other one was like an Asian woman. So these folks get up. They walk toward the witnesses that are watching this entire thing go down and they just walk into the city and disappear. About a month after this incident occurs, they go back out and looking for them and they end up finding them. They uh, two of the witnesses decide that they want to trail these folks. And when they do, they just disappear right in front of them uh, and they reappear a little bit uh, later. But uh, the, the kind of. Um, disappearing aspect of ufos in particular is uh not uncommon you you hear people say words like winked out or disappeared or something like that so definitely a feature of the phenomenon yeah and i think it's something also where the pop culture think is like oh they're beamed out but this is like instantaneous no visual cue or anything it's pretty much like blinked out of existence is that is that right yep Pretty much. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting. And I know that the X-Files did a really good episode that sort of took this and did a better job of it. I don't know if, if you ever watched that X-Files. I think it was a season one episode where mm-hmm. they set up the border and I think it, it ended up getting out or, or whatever. But it was completely invisible and they never did see it. 
But I think uh, actually, one of the first exiles was with the the, the ship, right? That Mulder sees. It's the the boys yeah, in the woods, yeah. and Mulder yeah. sees. And so I always wondered if, when we talk about how influential uh, Kolchak was on the creators of the X Files, mm. if this was just their first sort of launching it out, you know, because that's what they told Dwidziak and all the other reporters. They were making it because of that. And it seems very, not not identical, obviously. And the X-Files episode was way better. And so, and for anybody who hasn't seen the Kolchak episode we're talking about, so this this spacecraft has a, um, a bit of invisibility to it. So that's why we're adding this into the conversation, correct? And the aliens are completely invisible. Yeah. You okay. Never yeah, the absolutely. They're the force mm-hmm. that you keep seeing, and that's supposedly the aliens. Yeah. Okay. Very good. But another characteristic I thought was weird was so they can so we talked about the invisibility, then making things disappear, explosions like causing concrete walls to explode. Is is there any cases that that you've seen that ex- exhibit that? There was a flap in South Africa that I covered on the podcast. Uh, it's about a month ago now, and. Uh, it it largely revolved around this uh, farmer named Benny Smith, uh, who had the first dramatic encounter with the UFO on his property. He saw this like egg shaped object that had this flashing beam of light on like one corner of it. And uh, he ended up like shooting this thing 15 times until it like finally disappeared. But he kept having repeat encounters and. Uh, I think this was like maybe four or five days after his original encounter. He had seen a UFO leaving his uh, property and it had been preceded by this like loud bang. And he uh, went to go investigate what the hell had happened. And he had a like brick reservoir built uh, and it had completely exploded without any um known cause or anything he just blamed it on the ufo so that's that's one case that comes to mind there aren't uh, a lot that i can think of that uh uh really exhibit that but uh, you know sometimes those ufos are hostile and they'll uh they'll get a little bit uh, aggressive you know yeah 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 definitely uh are, are, are there any instances where after the wall has fallen down that someone says they're lead ingots. <laughs> no, no, I have not. That's a shame. Yeah, uh, I know. Like, uh, so far, I have not seen UFOs interested in lead, lead ingots and having the ability to make them disappear at will. Um, I'm, I'm still holding out hope for that story that yeah. I'll just like ponder and well, well, stumble ho- upon it. Yeah, and hopefully someone will be able to play uh, Uncle Leo's. <laughs> Uh, voice there from Seinfeld. Uh, ingots. I, I'll try. I'll try to find that and plug it in just for you. What was in there? What did I see? There was that steel. No lead. Two tons of lead ingots. Lead ingots. This. <laughs> it's gonna be a pain, a, but just for you, Robert. Just. For it's you. a good one. I'm loving this, guys. So yeah, I thought the uh, maybe that's a '70s mentality, not understanding. Like, hey, they, this is apparently greater technology, but in the show, the the whole thing is, hey, we're gonna, they need yeah. this, they got to steal our electrical equipment to fix their own. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I thought that was definitely a strange thing. Okay, so here's one I don't know. Now, if you find one like this, I'm gonna be, I don't know if I'll be surprised, but this seems like a vampiric sort of thing. Consumes bone marrow. Are there any aliens that consume bone marrow, or I guess even 
you like consume humans or meat, human meat? There have been stories of cattle mutilation. By the time uh, this uh, episode comes out in 74, cattle mutilations are starting to become more and more common within the UFO lore. Uh, It kind of goes back to 1967 with a horse named Lady who uh, the owners discover her her on the property just like uh, laying there like few hours after they had seen her last she was you know missing some organs there was i i don't know if she was completely exsanguinated but she had blood loss and and stuff like that but uh, not specifically bone marrow from what i've seen but it's just it, it's usually sex organs their buttholes is like cored out most of the time which is an odd one and their face generally like their eyeballs around their mouth and stuff like that is is uh, missing just like random odd bits here and there but uh there there is one interesting case from washington state in 1999 and and the reason i include this is because one of the witnesses believed that the UFO that they saw was an animal of some kind. So in 1999, there was this group of, uh, they were like tree, they were forestry workers that were planting, I think, trees and like not far from Mount St. Helens. And they had, uh, they were at the top of this valley and they looked down, they saw a group of elk and then a few minutes later, they saw this UFO that was kind of like pill shaped that had these two uh, stripes on them that had uh, one was blue and one was kind of like a pinkish red. And it approached this group of elk and uh, it started to descend. It ended up cornering one of them and bringing it started to bring the elk up into the craft itself and it disappeared. And one of the witnesses said that uh, what they what he thought they saw was an animal coming down from the sky to eat, basically. So, yeah, huh. that's uh, that's an interesting one. That is definitely odd. So we got a couple more here. And then, Robert, I'll let you ask your question about the alien abduction support groups, because that was definitely a big part of the episode as well. So the, the few others I had written down here. So. Uh, sending compasses spinning wildly, compass needles messing with the magnetic pull of the uh, Earth or whatever, where where the polarity is on that. Any any cases like that? Not specifically that I could think of. Like I, I kind of rack my brain on that, thinking like, well, it seems like it it should be something that's like common or, or something like that, and uh, it doesn't really show up. Uh, all that much that I can really think of off the top because, of my head. Yeah, that seems like a trope. I know Stranger Things mm-hmm. has did that, and me and Rob, me and uh, Robert talked about that on the uh, UFO episode we did. Um, but also another one of is the strong gusts of wind. It seemed like these things would just there'd be strong gusts of wind that would blow in and sort of encapsulate the whoever they were coming after. I think what's interesting about UFOs is like you you would think that an object coming down that can move incredibly fast and and can kind of just like break uh, the the sound barrier if it really wanted to. They never really produce wind, which is interesting. They they, a lot of what what this is described is they it's almost as if like 
everything goes silent around them almost as if it's uh, they describe like it's being in a va- in a vacuum experiencing what they're experiencing so they generally don't uh experience any wind and if you want a good example of this um the first interview that Scott and Forrest did with Terry Lovelace yeah, he talks yeah. about how uh the abduction uh that he experienced at Devil's Den it's like um he was looking down at the leaves to see if they would would be moving because they should be. And he's like, they weren't moving and it shouldn't be like that. So it's almost as if you're in your own different form of reality when you're experiencing a lot of these things. But uh, yeah, when uh, high winds are not something that uh, is often reported with UFOs. I want to jump in here on that one. Um, Back to the Stranger Things reference, I don't know if I'd call it a trope, Bradley, so much. I mean, I've only seen it done twice, and, and that's why I got so excited when I saw it in this episode that Stranger Things was using it. I, I can't think of too many other TV shows or movies or I other think... things that I can think of that have used that particular one, which mm. is what made me so excited thinking the Stranger, the Duffer Brothers might be Shack fans yeah. and got some influence from this. We found a couple other episodes where actually if you, are you familiar with stranger things rob yep yeah so the the dig dug episode yep. where you have all the drawings that the will character is doing um that's very similar to the energy eater uh yeah. the machimoto and those x-rays that come i mean I, I i couldn't think of anything that would be more similar in all honesty but what the the question i have and this is not a, a doubter's question per se as more of a scientist's question mm-hmm. and um, and, and realistically, if there is any favorite um, science fiction uh, story that I have, it is typically one with aliens. Yeah. Uh, those are, if you look at my list, eventually you'll see how many of those. And honestly, that's not anything I looked up. Those are just all just popped right into my head as a lot of favorite movies that I've seen. Mm-hmm. But what what kind of... Uh, you don't have to go into a huge thing about it, but what kind of verification does it take with you with a story like that to have you, are you on the side that you believe that that happened or where, where do you land on, on those types of things? Does you, do you need some type of scientific evidence that people provide or especially this thing about no wind? Um, where, where do we land with that? Is that a fair I, question? I don't even know. Yeah, it, it's tough because we right now don't even know what science really looks like when it comes to studying this stuff. Because if you go through all these accounts and stuff like that, there are some in which people say uh, there are like physical traces left behind, which is what they call a close encounter of the second kind. When uh, mm-hmm. some type of physical kind of effect happens whether that's like the disabling of a car they they also chalk that up to like you know the disturbance of animals because some animals will just go haywire when a ufo is around um but it is it's kind of uh tough in that realm Uh, to me what makes a story credible and and i'm not gonna say you know full-heartedly that i go into most stories like with the idea of belief because belief is hard belief is hard to sell to anyone when 
you kind of have to take it on faith. But there are, there are always these little details that kind of seem to emerge. And one of them generally is everything was silent around me. I didn't hear anything. It was just completely and totally silent. Um, sometimes they'll hear a hum. Um, there are occasional like whistling sounds. So like there are certain signposts that you look at and you say, well, these keep popping up and these people don't seem to be into UFOs uh, most of the time, which is which is kind of seemed like a standard question back in the day. They didn't really get to know these witnesses all that well, but they're like, hey, did you read UFO stuff? And they're like, mm-hmm. nah, but right. like it's usually just tiny details that keep popping up that are so random and so different. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, if a police officer is doing an investigation or something like that, and they will, you know, leave certain types of information out, you know, just to see if uh, it'll, you know, come through in in, in one person's account. I kind of see it in that kind of way, not necessarily that, UFO investigators are hiding details, but it's just the details that end up coming forth are just these tiny one-off little things that kind of tick boxes and make okay. you think, okay, this is, this is kind of believable. All right. I get that. I mean, I think that's very fair. And I, I, I like your answer on that. And, you know, one of my friends has his own <clears throat> podcast. That's, it's really just a catch all of everything. And, but he had a paranormal investigator on his show who was a retired police detective of, mm-hmm. of many years. And it was, it was entertaining to me and also exciting to hear him apply police science, investigative science to what he did with these paranormal sightings that he has had. And he's been to Waverly. If you know about Waverly here in Kentucky Yep. and you know, that's kind of like the, where, where a lot of these guys get their start and, uh, and to hear him even say to one of my friends, I'm skipping paranormal, sorry, to like ghosts and that kind of stuff to aliens. But a friend of mine who had said, well, where, where does my experience rank on your sort of believability scale? Because this person was saying, I have physically seen this myself multiple times. My daughter has seen this in my house, these apparitions or ghosts or whatever it is. And the investigator's like, yeah, it doesn't really rank pretty high. It's probably a two out of 10. And it's just only because it's just an account by somebody. Mm -hmm. And then he went on to say what he has seen himself and investigated. And it's kind of like what you're saying. It's these little bits that don't add up. Mm -hmm. Um, these little outliers, let's say that are unexplained. And then you just, it is kind of a a leap of faith after that. So thanks for entertaining that question. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. But even, you know, we talk about that. Another thing that's always sort of, I don't know, like, you know, you talk, the instance you've talked about how many witnesses with the first instant, the eight foot alien that came with his little robot that came out and sort of surveyed the air. How many witnesses do you think witnessed that happen? The... Reports were somewhere around a hundred or so because this was like a, it was a huge public park. So I would say a fair amount of people saw this thing. And, and the investigator, how many people do you think he talked to when he went there and, and investigated it? Knowing Jacques Vallée, he probably talked to a handful because that seems to be 
uh, what it comes down to. And uh, when I had, I recently recorded an episode with Rich about the aerial is uh, another mass landing case in which uh, 60 or so kids ended up seeing this craft land beyond the school grounds. This These you, beings get out and start hopping around and, and, and jumping around. And uh, there were some witnesses that claimed that they received telepathic messages and stuff from them, too. And... Um, there are just it seems like a lot of the time there are when it comes to how much time people have to interview witnesses it's not all that much the investigators in that case uh the first one was a woman named Cynthia Hines she was at the school i think like 72 hours after it took place she had about an hour with the kids and she only talked to so many of them there was another investigator named John Mack he ended up showing up in Africa. This That's where this case took place. About uh, two months or so after, after it happened, he interviewed the children for maybe a little bit longer, but uh, it just... One thing that we never know is how much time they have with uh, the witnesses. Good investigators, they follow up for sometimes even years at a time wow. with the with people like uh, John Keel, he was prominent in investigating the Mothman sightings back in the sixties. He kept in contact with his, the witnesses that he talked to and he would, you know, call them up regularly and, and maybe a new detail would emerge or maybe a new sighting would emerge or something like that. But uh, the good investigator seemed to be able to maintain relationships with witnesses kind of sets it apart from, a lot of the the investigators today because if you report your sighting in MUFON, MUFON's going to contact you. They might do a follow-up, a follow-up or two, depending upon the investigator, and that's kind of it. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much how it usually goes down. Yeah, I was just sort of getting the feel of, because that's one thing I've always thought was crazy because I remember listening to that, that episode you did with Rich that, you have these groups of people or even like I remember watching like the TV shows in like the 90s and stuff that they do where they'd have the video footage of the crafts. And, you know, a lot of those ended up turn, turning out to be like military crafts. Uh, what was the one, the one, the stealth bomber that they ended, mm-hmm. everybody thought was UFO for the longest time that it just ended up being a military tech. But it's sort of like you'll see these and they're, they're like over, especially it seems like there's like Mexico City. They'll have like one every every decade or so they'll have like a big sighting in Mexico mm-hmm. city where they'll just be like these bunch of people who see it, um, in the night sky, but you know, stuff like that. Uh, but moving back into Col shack and we'll, we'll get some more into, into the credibility of that and what we think about that. But just to, to sort of cap this off, there are two more things that I had. Uh, so one is probably one of the most well-known, uh, UFO tropes, I think, but the other aversion to high pitch winds, uh, particularly that of like a camera wind. I remember, one of the things he ended up to stop the alien, and maybe this is more of a plot device than anything, was taking pictures so they heard the whine of the camera. Is there any alien stories or any extraterrestrial stories that have a an aversion to sound? Not really. There is one case that one episode that I did with Rich that we did uh, about these, these group of women in the Tahunga Canyon region of uh, California who 
this one woman was is almost described as being kind of this alien contagion because it seemed like relationships that other women had with her would lead to kind of abduction like experiences which is very strange it's not usually how uh, things are reported usually it's in abduction literature the the mo usually is that it's family members that are related so this was a late 70s case and one of the women that uh, knew the main witness i think her name was Lori briggs she talked about how uh, whenever she would have an experience and she didn't want the beings to take her she would create this sound in her head and it would it seemed to like prevent them from doing whatever it was that they were wanting to do but uh she she said something to the effect of well i could create my own sound and they would know to leave me alone or i could use it to fight them off or something like that but yeah that's the only case in which I've ever seen anybody saying, well, there, there was a sound that I could make that would just ward them off. So, so may, so this mostly seems like uh, predilections from the riders, maybe things that they took uh, because, and that, and that's one thing that I think we've talked about in the past. We talked to Mark Dewoodziak, you know, he was, but he was a, a film critic for almost five decades, I believe. And, and we've talked about how aliens, it's sort of interesting. We talked about lost in space recently, the old lost in space compared to the newer version how aliens used to be sort of look like paper mache. They'd have that mm-hmm. sort of that standard look of, Hey, th- they definitely look extraterrestrial and stuff. Whereas aliens now sort of taken on that, that sort of uh, aliens now in, in, in media look sort of, they can be different things, but they look sort of slimy at all the time. They, they look very uh, aliens in the sixties still sort of looked human in ways, you know, they mm-hmm. still have some human aspects, but now it's sort of like, as foreign as possible, the weirder they look that, you know, the better, the slimier they look, you know, the, the, the pale green skin, all that stuff, uh, or, or even gray skin, you know, it seems like stuff like that, but it, it seems like this is more riders being, Hey, we're just going to come up with something where we don't have to put aliens on screen for one thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it's, it's sort of like, we don't want to have to make costumes. So they're going to be invisible. And the craft was really small too. The craft seemed like it was like maybe, four or five it might have been six foot or seven foot off the like total high what do you think robert how, how tall would you say it was i i got the feeling it was bigger than that but you know my idiot mr magoo way of doing these episodes is the first couple of times i saw the episode i thought it was over and never even went to never even saw the spacecraft and until I'm watching it with Bradley and I'm like, I got, I guess I need to keep watching. And then I'm like, what? There is a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I thought it was, no, it wasn't huge. You know, it was not as big as the Jupiter two. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But yeah, maybe no, no more than maybe 20 feet in diameter and, you know, potentially 10, 12 feet high. I thought when Kolchak got close to it, it seemed a little bigger, but I really don't remember. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, what is the is there any smaller aircrafts like that any smaller ufos this is sort of off the cuff uh, any smaller ufo experiences maybe of, of of varying i don't know almost sort of maybe i'd say it was about 10 foot or less wide it seemed like yeah actually the episode that i have coming out on monday it's an abduction case this guy jose antonio da silva uh from brazil in 1969 he was fishing uh out by this lagoon 
and these figures kind of just jumped him out of the bushes. They paralyzed him with like a really weird looking ray gun and they dragged him underneath the armpits to this very small craft that was I want to say six feet wide by about eight feet tall it was very narrow but like when they brought him inside he didn't really talk about it being small which is very weird and it's something that you you hear a lot in UFO reports is that it seemed bigger on the inside, kind of like TARDIS. Um, and I was going to uh, say the TARDIS principle. Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, that's uh, comes up a lot. Um, but yeah, it was a very small UFO. They put him into this like chair, brought him to uh, some place. That's that's the best way to put it because uh, they uh, kind of like you know mafia bosses. They put like this like helmet on his head and then they put this covering over his face so he couldn't see where he was going so they bring him into this room and <laughs> the best way that i could say this is that he enters into a negotiation with this very short figure kind of human looking but had like very long hair long beards green eyes didn't speak the language so he he basically drew out this figure drew out a bunch of circles and stuff like that and uh, a bunch of different figures and was basically trying to make an uh, intergalactic arms deal for for weapons it, it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah i bet that went over went over well for him uh, oh yeah. yeah oh yeah <laughs> because the, because the silva had all these on his boat right he the, i don't even know why they would have picked him or if they would have known he was uh he was actually a member of the Minas Gerais military he uh which was the okay. state military for the state that he lived in in Brazil but i don't know if they would have known that at the time that they took him but it was just like you're going to be our our agent for this mm-hmm. you're going to get us some some guns man could be the the fate of the boys from brazil are you familiar with that i i have (laughs) i have the book i've never seen the movie but uh, Mm -hmm. i do have the book Mm -hmm. and and the last and probably the most prominent thing in ufo lore the the ring left where nothing will grow or or whatever i know and even off the top of my head kecksburg wasn't there something like that in kecksburg where there was some vegetation that wouldn't grow anywhere else uh, I think, yeah, at the landing site, there was some like yeah. vegetation that was destroyed. I think the biggest case in this instance is is one that Astonishing Legends covered, the Delphos ring, in yeah. which uh, Ronnie Johnson sees a UFO on his farm that <laughs> he said it sounded kind of like a, a washing machine with the tumbler just like, yeah. you know, at a sink. And when it and when this craft <laughs> departs, there's just like glowing ring left around on on the ground and it was uh supposedly hydrophobic would not take water of any kind and ronnie's mother ended up touching this ring and it made it like made her hands numb and then when she touched her leg after that it made her leg numb so that, that's one of the kind of cases that pe- that points to that kind of activity with ufos they pop up here and there but that's the most well-known case of them 
Yeah, yeah. So that was that was one of the ones I was thinking about too. I remember uh, them talking about that. Uh, really great episode of the, of Astonishing Legends. Yep. I've got the Astonishing Legends hoodie here. I don't know. Actually, I was going to plug their show, but I don't think you can even buy this hoodie anymore. So maybe I should <laughs> plug that hoodie. So, Robert, uh, where do you want to roll to now? Let's talk about that support group. Bring, why don't you bring that up? Because I thought that was a very weird, interesting scene. Yeah, I mean, you've got the, um, you know, the the woman and the support group that Kolshak goes to. Which, again, I think bad title for this episode, but it had a lot of good things where you could check the box of this is a great scene, you know, mm-hmm. for, for this this encounter. And I believe this is the one too where the guy is doing his recording, I guess, of his findings and you hear him just like scream and die. And is, isn't that, doesn't that happen in this one too? He's sort of off on the cliffs. I think this is the one where he, oh. it's like, it's like near the observatory. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that was, I think it, I don't think it was meant to be funny, but it was hilarious to me <laughs> when I, when I saw it. Yeah. So, but, but certainly the scene uh, where they're at the support group, you know, you have the woman talking about her abduction and, uh, you know, giving these nearly salacious details of, you know, this alien who, you know, wants to basically be with her and, mm-hmm. but she's not that kind of gal and, you know, these types of things. And I, I don't know specifically anybody who I know who has said they've had alien encounters. And I know a few, um, who have actually gone to some sort of support group. Um, I don't know if, and, and I do know in a couple of these people's cases, it is something they fall back on often um, in conversation and they've never been able to kind of put this behind them, so to speak. And it is sort of a catch in their, their, their lives. So do you know anything or have you been to and seen the, these types of things uh, if, if they do exist? I've never been to one, but I've read about them. There was a abduction researcher named Bud Hopkins who would routinely have group therapy sessions kind of uh, to, to, to offer up support for those who had, because in, in a lot of abduction cases, there is uh, there are certain traumatic elements to them. And around the time of you know that this episode was released in 74 there weren't a lot of highly publicized abduction cases there was betty and barney hill which was kind of if there's an abduction case it's probably the one that people know the most they were an interracial couple that were taking a trip to niagara falls and on their way home because they were trying to they were they had cut their trip short because they were trying to make it home before a uh, hurricane actually hit the East coast and they had had this encounter with a UFO, a very dramatic one over the the roads of New Hampshire. They didn't. And and the weird thing is, is like they didn't see any other motorists like during their trip. And I don't know how often those roads get traveled at night, but it it was an, an odd detail, but they ended up, when they came home after having this encounter, they found that they were later, later than they wanted to be. Didn't couldn't really account for it. They started to investigate their case and they eventually end up in the doctor's office of Dr. Benjamin Simon, who uh, was a, um, he was a therapist, he used hypnosis 
during World War II to, to treat people with uh, shell shock that were coming back from the front and uh, were claiming things like hysterical blindness and stuff like that. He worked with the Hills and it comes out that this that this couple ends up being taken aboard a UFO, being subjected to medical tests and uh betty's experience betty hill her experience was a little more enjoyable than barney's the the fun thing is is that barney hill had uh dentures by that time they were fascinated by them because they could be removed and they like kept poking around betty's mouth to see if her uh teeth would come out but uh they wouldn't <laughs> by this time there aren't a lot of well-known abductions there's this there's a the Pascagoula abduction, which had happened the year before this episode came out, was highly publicized. This is a uh, an abduction case from Pascagoula, Mississippi, in which Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson, they worked uh, on the docks out there. They were fishing one night and this UFO kind of came down. These strange figures that were described as having elephant like skin they were about like five foot five they had like claws crab like claws on them they had like these weird appendages on their heads that kind of made it seem like uh you know a snowman with a carrot for nose they take them on board this craft charles sixon claims that he was examined by this like eye eye like device they bring him back out it gains a lot of attention in the press it kind of gets laughed off really quickly. So when I see like that, the abduction support stuff in the, in this episode of like, okay, yeah, it's really jokey because you know, they just, dis- they dismiss those guys right away uh, when they came forward with their accounts. And like, I can't totally blame people for doing that because uh, it just seems so wild on the case of it. Hey, I was fishing and these weird aliens took me on board their craft and they examined me with like an eyeball and it was weird yeah like the there are some you usually see these support groups pop up with uh therapists that work with uh abductees experiencers and such um so bud hopkins had one i think dr john mack had one he was a prominent researcher in the field for that but uh i don't think they're as common as uh maybe they're led to believe uh, in like uh this uh, this particular episode right right yeah i, I would say it was over dramatized mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of this and i mean uh, i think i'm right in saying that you know with close encounters and then following up other movies i know at least myself as a little kid we would stay out and watch the the sky and anything that went by, we were convinced it was an alien craft, you know, it was just, (laughs) and it was, and it was just, you know, we were, I can't remember exactly how old I was. Couldn't have been more than maybe nine or 10 uh, when I saw it originally, (laughs) just let our imaginations go when Mm -hmm. we watched all that stuff. And I would say also uh, for me, probably the worst time for me to hear someone's, abduction story is when they're really drunk yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know and now psychologically you know people let down their defenses their inhibitions are gone if they really believe this stuff they can finally say it now when they're drunk and you know high or whatever it is and but that certainly hurts their credibility 
um, mm. when, when that happens, I think when those kind of things are told, but yeah, I, I just thought that was a, it was a humorous scene. And, you know, for those people that really believe these things happen though, you know, for, what, for whatever reason or for whatever, how they get their help, you know, they, they really probably can use some support. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I don't know if I want to do this. This is going to open Pandora's box, but how oh, the hell we'll, we'll talk about it. So are he, you he, drunk? Number one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did talk about the, the drink that he has prepared. I, I did, for this. I did have a mixed drink today called it. I called it alien invasion. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything with anyone associated with astonishing legends unless he has alcohol. Yeah. I, I've learned this. Yeah, at oh, least. Yeah. So that's why I didn't feel so bad about bringing it, in the Bud Light. We call it the rich, <laughs> the rich rule. Um, no, no, because so, I, I don't want. And I, I told, I told Rob about this before he came on. Robert was I know Stephen Doyle's. He, he is probably listening to this episode if he's made it this far, thinking, you know, what in the hell? Because he, he the did, guy from the site. Yeah, because he gave us grief that one time that we talked when he talked to Forrest and we got a little bit out there and he was like, I really the episode was interesting. That's what he said. And I, thought, I don't even think we were all that far out there. I think we're farther out there now. Oh, I know. I know for, that's for what, what we're saying. But again, it's I, you know, I, yeah. I would I would tend to see that again. That's that's my my feeling is this is talking about something that is, you know, more than likely has to be organic. We're not talking about necessarily robots coming down or something like that. So I have greater faith in the potential of other life beings, whatever you want to call them, um, outside of our outside of our world than I do necessarily things like, you know, crossing dimensions and you know, it's just it's just my own uh, my own preference no, for, I, for what I for what I can believe in. So when when we do these, I don't know. But what, what were you gonna say? Okay, so I'm going to step into this realm and and rob something, something because it came out oh, up a lot for me as a kid. Like you talked about the guy being scanned with the eye and stuff, and and it's almost like we we associate things with what we know. Mm-hmm. So maybe somebody now might realize more that it's more camera like or something, or more like a something else, you know, that we would recognize. And even like, so this goes back to even biblical times where they, you see the, the chariots of fire or whatever they want to call them, people being taken up in chariots of fire, which, you know, you always get the ancient aliens guys are going to say, oh, this was aliens for real or whatever. Or even the Columbus accounts where you see the, he, I think he said that a lantern was in the distance on the horizon was rising with the tide and would raise up in the air and, and go down. And he, and he had no idea what it was. So I guess that brings me to the point where we, and I don't even know if there's a question here, but it's like we associate things with what we know and we will describe things as we know it. And as time and as technology advances, something that was a, you know, a a lantern to somebody, you know, 500 years ago is now, is is now, Hey, we see like an led light or something, or or we see like a, 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 some sort of craft with, with lights on it that we know is lights or are lights. And, I don't, I don't really know where I'm going with that, but I was just thinking that it seems like some of those accounts, like you're talking about the eye that scans people could have been some type of technology. that's not even that far fetched, but just the way they describe it because they don't understand the technology behind it seems more far, makes it far fetched than it is. Yeah. Like when people talk about abductions and being brought on board and being examined by sometimes machines, sometimes it just seems like very mundane like surgical implements why is it not more advanced than 
uh, or at least as advanced as the craft that they're in right now, which is which is very weird. Uh, if you talk to Rich Adam, he'll say something to the effect of, you know, it's it's maintained like that for the benefit of the witness to kind of ground them in the experience that they're having. So, like, if you are in that experience and say, like, and I can see my brain just going uh, completely Rich Adam on this because he his theories are definitely out there. And like, once you when you look into the stuff more and more, the theories get uh wilder but generally the the belief that i've come to get from him is that the experience is tailored around the reality of the witness in in the way that uh the world functions around them so it looks like a doctor's office in many cases in the jose antonio de silva case uh, there are odd features that like make it seem that the aliens involved in that case are very interested in humans. They he talks about how there's kind of like a mural on the wall that looks like something from like a pediatrician's office. In like it, it looks like it's tailored to like children. Like there's trucks and in cars and, and airplanes and stuff like that there's like people and, and 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 things it's like are these are these folks really interested in human beings or is this like a doctor's office because it kind of has that uh, mentality of it needs to be grounded in some kind of quote-unquote reality for these folks to uh appreciate what's going on and appreciates probably not the right word but like to kind of ground themselves in the experience that they're having. Uh, because if you don't, then uh, there's no telling what that experience would actually look like. There are stories of people interacting with aliens that can um, change their form. So there is a, a case in, in John Mack's first book, Abduction, in which... The guy it's going to get graphic here real, real fast. But the witness talks about having this experience with this alien and this alien just basically mounts him right in this craft. And um, it gets, uh, you know, it gets really intense and stuff like that. And he later finds out that this being didn't actually do that. It just like made it seem like it did. It played with his mind a little bit in order to like earn his trust. So, yeah, it, it, it's because everybody knows getting yeah. mounted by yeah. an alien it earns my trust, baby. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, why is that the number one go to? It's like, okay, let's. Well, but uh, it's funny. It, it's like the Kolshak episode. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's just ground them in reality to a certain extent, so that their experience can kind of fit into a framework that they can come away with that is understandable in their mind. I think that's generally what it comes down to. And I think that's, uh, if you ask rich Adam, he's going to say something very similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, scientifically, at least in my experience working in neurology, um, you know, there, there are various types of seizures. Uh, you might call them the, ab the absence seizures, um, or, you know, it's just this, like, you, literally your mind's absent, so to speak, and you're just sort of like stunned. 
but where then people have these time lapses um, where they can't really account for the amount of time. Well, it's been because they've been having a seizure. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how often those types of that type of science is applied to people who have these alien abduction experiences or not. Um, There also are the, the times where, it's a different type of seizure, but it's when they say they see an aura mm-hmm. um, around whatever is just happening. Either it's a person or it's, you know, just, just sort of what their, their vision just sort of creates this. Yeah. And, and, and that's a very common type of seizure. Um, and, uh, but then you've got people who take photographs of others and it may just be a random photograph. And then they feel like they see auras around mm-hmm. people's heads. And, you know, a, a group of us working in a different hospital that I was at, um, you know, they were taking pictures of the patient doing the really specific kind of um, high science stuff that we were doing with them in rehab. And they just like rushed back to me and you're like, look, there's this aura all over you, like every picture you're in. So it wasn't even just this one picture that I had in this one place, but it was in multiple places in the gym. Uh, that they took these pictures and they were super excited by it all. I was a little freaked out in all honesty, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, what, and, and you were nodding your head that you've sort of heard these types of things before. Mm-hmm. So how, how common are those type of explanations? And, and I'm just wondering what, what your experience is with hearing those types of things. There are certain uh, neurological conditions that uh, if, that it, that investigators do look at to see if people have them. I forget the exact ones that, uh, uh, like in the case of Whitley Strieber, they looked into. But uh, there are definitely some that will mess with your minds like that and and create these these very strange situations. But yeah, if if you got a good investigator on hand, they're going to look for the the medical uh, side, look to the medical side of this before, you know, jumping to anything else. And like, there are places that people jump to. There are some that are like some investigators like Bud Hawkins, who was very pro the aliens are lying to us and they're trying to collect their reproductive materials so that they can create alien humid hybrids so that they can have a, a stronghold on this planet it gets very very out there (laughs) with with some of that stuff but yeah like uh there are definitely neurological conditions that uh investigators look look for good investigators look for uh before they proceed into the oh yeah aliens are totally taking you out of your bedroom at night returning you you know they've got this really weird thing where they don't want to put on your pajamas right which is you know it's unfortunate they're they're on inside out oh my god they tucked you in so hard to that bed you can't even get out there's one story that i read uh this guy john carpenter who was a he was an abduction researcher so not so not the john carpenter though no no this is a different john carpenter <laughs> a much less cooler john carpenter but uh okay. he uh the name's pliskin yeah <laughs> exactly like uh if i get abducted by aliens i'm gonna tell them that i'm pliskin and i'm gonna <laughs> home away you know but, <laughs> but uh he talked about he talked with this one witness whose wife kept getting like 
locked out of their house at night. Uh, she was claiming that she was being taken out of her home. And every time that the beings dropped her back off, they would steal her nightgown. So these aliens kind of, kind of assholes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, like he was concerned, like, like at a certain point, he just stopped unlocking the doors at night because like, I don't want people to see my naked wife outside, uh, you know, all crazy because she can't find her nightgown. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Yeah. That, that sort of reminds me. It sounds like to me, the, the first thing that comes to mind is like a guy's wife coming home without her panties or something. She's wearing a dress and, you know, you smell like the inside of a bar and you're missing your panties. <laughs> alien abduction. Yeah. Damn it. Those, those aliens. Okay. Well, I, I, I have personally used something similar to that. I don't know how much you guys know of the Blues Brothers, the first movie. Yeah. But when yeah. John Belushi is trying to explain to Carrie Fisher, there's a nice Star Wars reference mm-hmm. for us there. Um, the reason why he didn't come see her, you know, like left her. I don't know if he left her at the altar or what it was. She, obviously, with the machine gun and everything else, she wasn't happy in the rocket launcher trying to kill him. But, uh, you know, and I, I came home one time, I think it was like maybe two in the morning. This is pre cell phones. I was, you know, I was out on a date when I was in a high school senior and I just used the whole Belushi thing. There was a flood. There were aliens. There was, you know, just anything I could do. I had a flat tire and my car levitated and <laughs> it, I got, I can't believe it, but I, I made my mom and dad laugh so hard that they're just like, just don't do it again. Don't. <laughs> and then I got away with it, but. What do you think about uh, Stephen Hawking's warning about um, aliens may not necessarily be our friends? I mean, coming from the position in which he made that quote, I can completely understand why he would say that. Because us as human beings, if these are beings that are advanced, far more advanced than we are. Right. Yeah. It, motivation, man. And, and like. You, you definitely saw it with, uh, you know. Space Force, you got to go. We need to establish ourselves out in the solar system. We've got to be that dominant force. So, uh, yeah, I could totally see Stephen Hawking and his, uh, you know, explanation uh, for saying that because we definitely haven't been kind to uh, other races on this planet. But the, the odd thing is that in most encounter cases with aliens and there's just so many this is a fun book if you can get your hands on it the field guide to extraterrestrials by patrick huey if you can get your hands on this book it's it's been out of print but you can find used copies online for uh like i I bought this one for like five dollars or something like that you get a lot of fun like really weird looking aliens um there's an actually really weird case from Kentucky in here. Probably one of the weirdest abduction cases of all time. It involved this guy named Lee Parrish. He was uh, driving home after uh, leaving a friend's house at about one o'clock in the morning. And he sees this UFO over uh, a group of trees. Just has this very terrifying experience. And when he arrives home, he notices that he's a half an hour later than he should be. He goes and he has hypnotic regression and he he claims he was taken on board the craft and he was examined not by beings, but by machines. Mm. One of them looked like a very huge wall. The Mm -hmm. other one looked like uh, there's a uh, 
they called it like a large adding machine and the other one kind of looked like a coke machine so you know there's a lot of weird cases like that out there by and large uh if you're just looking at the ufo literature um aside from the trauma that these aliens inflict on people by just like taking them out of their beds or their cars or whatever they're they're seem to be generally benign like a lot of the accounts that you read of people just like stumbling upon aliens like outside their house or like uh, they're out in the woods or something like that and like oh there's some random aliens it's a you know right place at the right time kind of scenario but i think stephen hawking definitely has a point i i would totally be scared of aliens and what they may want to do. Um, and there are definitely some cases in which they are hostile. For some reason, they're very hostile in Brazil. People encounter, a lot of people have encountered uh, UFOs, uh, particularly in the late seventies in which uh, they dubbed them the chupas, which is the, um, uh, it's a word that means suckers like chupacabra means uh, goat sucker. And these crafts would shoot down beams of light at people and they would feel very faint and and stuff afterwards. Uh, They would have uh, health problems for weeks after there are um, I've read cases from Africa in which people see these like balls of light and they end up having these uh, health problems, but by and large, um, yeah, it just seems to be more benign than, than uh, actually hostile towards humans, at least from the from the stuff that I've read. I like I like that answer, and uh, of course, I initially love thinking that you were referring to Steve Carell's Space Force, yeah, uh, right. which was a decent series. I hope they come back with that. Yeah, that had it had a pretty dramatic last episode, but no, I mean, I mean, my gosh, you're right that we have as at least a country now decided we want to be on the forefront of, um, you know, I don't know if we would call it being aggressive mm-hmm. or at least being prepared. Maybe that's still the, the softer sell about all that is that we're trying to be more prepared in a, in a defensive manner. What is the smoking gun case that comes the closest to proving alien life? If you had to pick one case, you can't pick, but one case and you got to, well, yeah. somebody, somebody says, Hey, this is the one, this is my, JFK assassination. What is it? Oh, uh, that's a tough one. That is a really hard one because it, it it's all in a realm of subjectivity uh, every single time. And and the thing is, is that you have to, in, in many cases, rely on the uh, credibility of the witness more than any kind of physical evidence in terms of alien life honestly i can't really point to any case and say this is the this is the smoking gun here that this is the case that proves alien life i think the one that comes closest to my mind uh is the case of lonnie zamora Uh, he was a socorro new mexico police officer who uh toward the tail end of his shift uh, in april of 1964 he was chasing a speeder toward the edge of town and he sees this uh, first he hears this roaring sound and he looks up and he sees this flame that's like it looks like it's descending down so he follows it 
he f- and he tracks it to this uh, Arroyo. And from his car, he sees uh, at first what he thinks is an overturned car. But on closer look, he sees a UFO and it's on legs, standing on legs in this Arroyo. And there's these figures outside of it. So he gets out. Uh, he, he gets a little closer, gets out. These beings are startled. They get back in their, their craft. This craft lifts up in this like huge gout of flame and it takes off. And I think what makes this case as credible is Lonnie Zamor himself. Not only is he a police officer, uh, you know, he's a trained observer, but uh, he is very sincere in his accounting of it. Uh, It did not do anything good for his life because he left the police force shortly after it. But there was physical evidence. There was footprints that were very small. Uh, He called these figures like either large children or small adults. So they were kind of short. It's probably in the four to four and a half foot tall range. And there was also marks left by the craft from where it was sitting on the ground. There were some burnt vegetation nearby. That was um, when he, when he touched it, it was actually cool. It wasn't, it wasn't hot. So just given like the amount of evidence and the fact that uh, in the aftermath, there were corroborating eyewitnesses that claimed to see this object in the area at the time. That's the closest I could say comes to saying, well, it looks like there's aliens. I would say like one of the most convincing uh, things about aliens is footprints of all things. Uh, odd footprints in the uh, Keneal case, those beings left very odd footprints. Um, and the way to dis- that they were described is like they were huge, but they only had one very big prominent toe of all things. And another case that it's probably even a little bit better than the Lonnie Zamora case is the case involving this guy. Pierre Fortunato Zanfretta. He was an Italian security guard and he had been abducted, claimed to be abducted multiple times uh, from like 1978 to 1981, 82 by these very tall green looking being. What makes it, so interesting is the evidence in the case is, is often so odd. So one thing they find these very huge footprints, like absolutely ginormous, like twice the size, twice the width of a human foot. I don't know how you fake that, but they never found any um, equipment that he had to fake it. He would often be found running around in fields, just screaming after his encounters, the car that he had and that he used, uh, he was often taken when it was very cold at night, um, you know, like closer to like freezing temperatures and stuff. And when they would go and look at his car, the interior of his car, which was off, 
was incredibly hot like not like uh, having your heater blasting but like just incredibly hot on the inside like it's just been blasted with heat uh there are a lot of the evidence in that case is so bizarre and so odd and so hard to replicate that it kind of suggests that something's going on what exactly i don't know but those two cases i think come the closest to saying there's some weird crap out here and they were like interacting with the environment they were taking this one dude and uh they were um yeah aliens yeah yeah i mean that that sounds a great answer yeah uh, and that's always been fascinating to me was the credible witnesses, the police officers and stuff The you know, those who, if they come forward with it, it's like, well, you know, why would you, I mean, that's always sort of seemed the most credible to me because I mean, they have a reputation already. So why would you jeopardize it with that? Or especially now, I think with the, what, what they call the, uh, what, what is it called? The imminent disclosure or mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like the, the people, the, the fighter pilots or stuff who have seen crafts and, and have come forward with it. That's always fascinated me as well. I'm sure there's hundreds of those that we could talk about, but I think what everybody's been wanting to talk. So wait, wait, where did I cut out at? You're like, but this, and then just like, you're gone. The government doesn't want us to talk about it, I guess. But that had to be it. <laughs> there's <laughs> proof. There's proof right there. The big brother's yep. watching us. The, the thing <laughs> that I want to talk about, the thing that I think you've sent Twitter a buzz about, let's talk about Gondola Man. What What is Gondola Man? I've seen you post about it, but but mm-hmm. for those at home, uh, tell us about Gondola Man. Gondola Man is one of the strangest like stories that, I just stumbled upon. I I just recorded an episode uh, with my buddy Brian Hasty from the Double Density podcast. Uh, he was on the episode about Jose Antonio da Silva, and I was like, "Hey, you want to just record something quick for Patreon?" I kind of I kind of got something uh, that uh, you know we could uh, we could just like discuss, and like I wanted to get kind of a laugh at him. So I found this case, and I hadn't even read it to this point, but like the image associated with it was saying like this is this is an alien so i start reading i just verbatim this this short report uh that this one investigator looked into and it and it was this um couple their last name was evils and this was in wisconsin in 1975 and they get this knock on their door and there are these five strange people they are jumping around but when they jump around they're 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 not even touching the the ground they're like floating above it they jump into the air when they move about 11 feet so they're moving 11 feet at a a, you know at the at a moment at a time and uh they uh This one is standing at the door. It's very human looking, but she she describes it as having very uh, a very small mouth, almost like a fish's mouth, and so it's like hanging open. So she she's just like standing there. It's like, yes, how can I help you? 
this thing just does not respond. It's just standing there. And she's just like, yes. And so she calls over her husband and uh, he comes over, tries talking to this, this dude who's standing at the door. Don't really know what they want. Uh, but uh, what's odd is that he's standing in front of them, but he's standing on stairs that are not their own which is weird it's like it's standing on like a platform of his own the best way to describe gondola man is he looks like one of those folks in france that like leads you on like journeys through like uh you know the rivers and canals and stuff in italy that's why he called him gondola man because he is very the story doesn't make sense it's just here's a very strange looking human why is he jumping 11 feet in the air that's very strange he seems very light on his feet why is he standing on some mysterious looking stairs right in front of the house and and just it's a bat crazy story that the thing was is like i read the story and brian hadn't seen this image and so i i held up this image and he just starts laughing his ass off because it literally looks like a, a guy that would be you know maneuvering a gondola down down a river in italy there there it is for you robert that is the the picture um so i, I don't the thing that got me was that he just has his own steps like i i imagine just showing up somebody's house no nah, no nah, i brought my i brought my own steps don't you yeah. want buddy I, I don't i don't know <laughs> there's just something weird about that yeah so uh <laughs> And it, and it was just hilarious because like Brian will, Brian will just like spew out just something hilarious every time he's like this is gondola man this is gondola man I'm like oh god oh god gondola man I'm like uh yeah we need we need to post that online people are gonna love it and uh yeah I keep getting calls for gondola man merch so I'm gonna have to make some at some point. oh yeah oh you gotta have a gondola <laughs> man on a t-shirt or something you know, that uh, is bizarre. Yo, yeah, it is very bizarre. Like the yeah. story from top to bottom is just like, what the hell even is this? And like, it is the perfect encapsulation of like having an alien encounter because it's just so, like, it, it just seems like it's so uh, in the realm of people who aren't from Earth trying to act like they're from Earth. So they kind of look like, uh, they're dressed up like they could be in a barbershop quartet or they're about to uh, step on a boat in Italy. But uh, yeah, it's just like, those are the odd details that give me so much joy reading these stories and like make me laugh my ass off. Cause it's just like gondola man. He is now entered the, the evological lexicon. And, and I, th- I feel like we could go on, uh, you know, even with my glass here that uh, Astonishing Legends made, uh, the Disco Wizard. We could talk about the Disco Wizard. Sam the Sandown Clown is one I've always thought was weird. Mm-hmm. Or even the one you posted the other day, the Kenny Rogers. Uh, uh, yeah. I thought that was strange. We could talk all night about those, but I feel like we'll, maybe we'll, Rob will have you back on. And, and if there's any other strange, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something. Have you on another day. Uh, but before we move on to our next thing, I was going to just do this one real quick. Uh, what percentage? So I would say that UFOs and there could be possible others. It seems to me they most of the ones I've heard have fall into three different categories, explainable phenomena, 
terrestrial like hidden technology government technology or extraterrestrial technology in its own in its own right what percentage do you think overall of all the encounters you've heard what percentage of each do you think you have encountered i guess just um, personal you know i yeah i think most of it's explainable i i do think that most of it's explainable what you read in in like books and uh ufo journals and, and and stuff like that seems to be like the uh they they chalked it up to like five percent of things are unexplainable like like if you read through those a, a lot of that is the five percent stuff that's just it's weird there isn't really an explanation for it the government says hey this doesn't seem like you know military this, this isn't military technology we don't have this but like why the hell would the government be saying oh yeah that's totally ours <laughs> like yeah let's just tip our hat to the to the fact that we have some you know advanced kind of stuff um but yes yeah, i think it's like somewhere in the realm to 90 to 95 percent are just like misidentifications of certain things some maybe advanced craft there is a case that i looked at uh, when I was part of MUFON in which uh, this graphic designer was coming home from work one night and at about five 30 and he looks up and he sees this triangular shaped uh, UFO that had these long windows on it. And uh, what he noted was that on the back, there was like an elevator on it kind of like the elevator that planes have on the tail. So mm -hmm. like kind of helping it stabilize. I'm like, why would a, why would that need a stabilizer on the back of it to be in the air? Yeah. That's kind of interesting. But like one thing that you see a lot of the times is that people will point to triangular shaped UFOs and say that it's government technology. And like some of them, yeah, they definitely could have been some uh, stealth bombers that were you know, you know being flown around back in the late 70s and 80s uh the definitely some of them the SR71 was probably mistaken a few times but um yeah it, it, most of this stuff is definitely misidentifications of known things and maybe some kind of unknown things, but they're in the realm of explainability. I tend to like when people start saying ball lightning, I kind of laugh because it's like, you don't even know what ball lightning is. So like, shut up old scientist, man, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So of that 5%, let's might break that down into percentage. So of the 5% that are something out of the ordinary, what percentage of the 5% is government technology and what do you think is extraterrestrial technology? Oh man. Uh, that's, that's a tough thing, you know, because they, there are some, uh, especially in the uh, abduction world that uh, focus on uh, like military abductions claims that the military takes people and are, are responsible for some of these, abduction accounts that come forward that may be the case i don't know it gets into some really dark territory when you look into the government stuff oh, yeah. uh there are instances in which the government has put false information into 
the uh, UFO community. There's one case in which the government hoaxed a landing at one of its Air Force bases and tried to get Disney to make a documentary about it, tried to get a guy named Robert Emenegger to make a documentary about it. They kind of touted around as being real. It's like, oh, if you saw this, it'd be so convincing, but it's it's probably not. But, uh, you know, when the government says, oh, yeah, we recorded one of these landing and we had, you know, a rendezvous with them, like, okay, sure whatever but uh there is like disinformation campaigns that the government has been involved with for years um they the cia had a hand in downplaying ufo reports from 1953 to 1969 before uh project blue book was uh shuttered so uh there were certain cases that um kind of took on a life of their own kind of like uh lonnie zamora's case it was uh, an unknown case. The U.S. government tried to avoid cases in which, you know, people saw like aliens or other beings and, and things like that. They would uh, they would either investigate the um, like the sightings of crafts or something like that, um, or uh, and, and they would also kind of just ignore the um, the the aliens that the people were claiming to see. Like they they did that thing to barney hill and and one of the things and 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 it this is a it freaking makes me laugh every single time the um uh, it was p's air force base that did the investigation of the betty and barney hill incident their determination was because is it their their sighting had occurred uh it was very late at night some uh, somewhere around like 11 to Seven and one a.m. They said that it was an advertising plane in the air that night. Who the frig is going to see it? An advertisement <laughs> at night? Are you kidding me? That's the worst spent money ever, I believe. If you're yeah. an advertising firm, like I like, it's not like it's an infomercial. They can just they can't see it. Like what the hell? <laughs> government does some crack up work um but like you find these strange uh like accounts of like it's usually one person that comes forward that will talk to a ufo investigator and say this particular incident right here yeah this was government this was a government incident and i was involved in it it was a you know run through like the cia through like uh project mk ultra or something like that and mk ultra is has become this kind of like catch-all thing to throw whatever you want into it, largely because we don't know the full scope of what MKUltra was because most of the files were destroyed before, um, you know, the government could get their hands on them. So uh, there's one case from Brazil, uh, the uh, abduction of a guy named Antonio Vies Boas, who was a Brazilian farmer. He was taken while he was plowing his field at one in the morning and uh he um he was taken on board this craft uh like forcibly it it wasn't like he was beamed up into this thing he was taken by a group of uh individuals that uh they didn't speak so much as they barked like a dog and they dragged him on board this ufo and they kind of like did a bunch of weird things to him. But uh, the main feature of this thing is 
he ended up having sex with an alien on board. So there's that. And <laughs> this one guy comes forward and says, oh, yeah, that was totally the CIA. We had this weird like helicopter that we, we brought him on board and uh, he ended up having sex with a Vietnamese prostitute. And it's just like there's so much going on here that I have to now believe that the government has weird looking helicopters that can somehow, you know, maneuver faster than, than a helicopter can and, and stuff like that. And it's just like, uh, okay. Generally when it comes to like the sightings of government technology, it usually seems to be a lot tamer. So I don't know. A lot of these cases are weirder than I think the government can claim, um, you know, credit for. I also think the government is so dysfunctional that like when I hear people say the government like orchestrated this intense plan where they, all these abductions are government. I'm like, dude, have you realized like how ineffective our government that like, they can't even pass bills. Like, they're barely functional. I don't, I don't know what you're thinking the government's capable of doing. And maybe that's, that's my curmudgeon old man hating the government sort of side coming out. Right. Well, it's I, just, I also ahead, think, yeah, sorry. Uh, I also think that like this, this particular episode uh, kind of, puts on full display how helpless people are during these like encounters. Cause like Kolchak doesn't do anything like all that productive other than, you know, he tracks the story. It's not like he does anything that makes the UFO go away or right. anything like that. It's just, there's a UFO. It's killing people. It's stealing electronics. And uh, once it gets what it needs, it just takes off and like and then and then it's just funny because at the end of the thing Polchak's just like sitting there typing a story and it's just like yeah i'm gonna make it all quippy and stuff because i didn't do jack other than <laughs> I, I i just kind of figured out what was going on cool dude cool like it, it, it's just like it, it seems like in other episodes, you know, like you can kill a monster, you can kill, you know, whatever. But it's just like we got invisible aliens because we don't want to blow a budget on creating an alien suit that somebody's going to have to wear or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's just I think this is the perfect example of um, how useless I think the government would be in it, in, during uh, to, to create a UFO encounter themselves. So. Yeah, no. I, I think the uh, the lameness of the getting rid of the uh, bad guy monster, whatever you want to call it, is um, potentially similar to what happens in Chopper, Bradley. So once you do finally see Chopper, okay, uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll have an idea about that. But I, th- I think I think it's gonna be hilarious if you love Chopper. You've done that actually. Ends up I'm, happening. Done, I'm, I'm done excited about it now. I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to wait for the Blu-rays to come in so I can get that that crisp clarity of Chopper full. Has your has yours come in yet? They're supposed to be here like sometime, anytime. Okay, yeah, mine mine will come in the thirtieth. Um, did you make a, any sort of purchase on that, Rob, to try to get the new full series that's going to be in Blu-ray with a bunch of uh, commentary on it? No, I haven't. But you know, I, I'm I'm still. I, I'm kind of at the point where I'm starting to just downsize what I physically own these days, but mm-hmm. uh, it's I, it may be a possibility because uh, I think it's 
for the commentary alone, it's totally worth I, it. I think that's the only, I've already got it, you know, yeah. and I know it's, it's not, um, truly mine, but mm-hmm. I bought it so I could stream it anytime I want through yep. Amazon prime. And so I, I watch most of my episodes that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think at this point I'm like, I just want to hear those commentaries and it sounds to me like, uh, Rodney Barnes just goes off and is absolutely hilarious. And some of the stuff he does, <laughs> cause he was throwing out, well, he was throwing out some of the stuff that he said in the, uh, commentary to us. And it was all about, I can't even remember what it was about. Some sort of like, you know how you, if, if you've ever heard our episode with Rodney and how he makes fun of T-Dog from <laughs> The Walking Dead. Yeah. It's almost like he has a character in the show. Oh, it's, it's Scarrett. It's Tom Scarrett in yeah. the, uh, the one, I think he's like talking about him being, you know, Tom Cruise's flight captain or something like that from Top Gun. Yeah. And yeah. he makes, makes fun of him throughout a bunch of that. But yeah, I, anyway. I, I, I really wish we could, Rich would have been on that. Rich didn't didn't get to do any of the commentary on this. We'll have to have Rich. We might have Rich and Rob on. We'll we'll just watch an episode. We can do our own commentary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rich, Rob, we'll all do some commentary over a cold track. Maybe we'll do UFO. Do commentary over UFO. I don't know. We'll pick <laughs> I think we need to do the witches one. Really? I think that will. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just there, and well, I, I love to hear Richard's take on uh, on witches. You know, speaking of commentary and uh, on different shows. See, see, right there, I was going to do a segue, but Bradley <laughs> had to do it. So yeah. see, that's he's, the, thing. he's did, the segue guy. Did you did you hear how how quick his voice was, too? It's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just had to get it in like 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 um paul blart on a segue he is the man oh, that is beautiful rolling right into it yep okay, beautiful I have, to, I have to work on it but i like that image <clears throat> speak, speaking of commentaries and uh television shows we're gonna roll into this segment here where we're gonna talk about a alien related tv shows movies we're gonna give you three choices i don't i couldn't think of an alien alien related choice because so we did it with mark dwidziak and vampires and we did love it like it or bleh for for bad <laughs> so lo- what about love it like it beam it beam it isn't beam it up i don't yeah. like it is, is that good is that good robert yeah i think so uh, if, hey okay. if he likes it we'll do it yeah. hey, rob, I, so he, I, think, I think hate it was fine too but okay so rob it's either love it eh, like it or, or, or you it. could could you phase it phase no it. Uh, you know, like like you shoot it or something like that, or put mm-hmm. it on the stun gun, or beam it's fine. Beam it's yeah. fine. <laughs> we'll say beam it. So I'm gonna we're just gonna go rapid fire here. I'm gonna name them. You say love it, like it, beam it, and whatever you want. All right, Mork and Mindy. Absolutely loved watching syndicated reruns as a kid. Uh, loved the hell out of it. Uh, the original Lost in Space. Loved it. The 1998 Lost in Space movie with Gary Oldman. Beam it, beam it the hell away from me. I hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. And 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 here's the thing. There's only one name that I need to say here, and it's Matt LeBlanc. I'm sorry, but the man just had no place in that movie. That was strange. I, I, will, I will respectfully completely disagree with you. I loved it. <laughs> and I, and I, I thought that was actually some of the best acting Matt LeBlanc's ever done. Probably has, but I mean, like, That's not best like, oh, acting Matt LeBlanc, you know. I know, man. I know. <laughs> What about the new Lost in uh, Space remake? Have you seen it, Rob? I've seen some of it, and I I like it. Uh, I like it a lot. I think it, you know, it, it it hits a different tone that you know the original Lost in Space and the in the ninety eight movie 
you know, it treads different territory. And for that, I respect it. I do like that. Uh, what was it? Third rock from the sun. Love it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, watching it as a teenager growing up. The X-Files. Love it. You can't go wrong with the X-Files. I mean, you love it up to a certain point, which is usually about the end of season six. And then it just kind of like you see where Chris Carter literally had no clue what to do. See, and it. I think you held out a little bit longer than anybody. Yeah. Like most people say, oh, when season five started, it started going really downhill. I can I can hang on for five and most of six. Um, especially like I have a fondness for the movie because I, re- I saw it in theaters back in the day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like it starts to go off the rails at a certain point. Like I think it gets into the idea of like just wanting a show to continue because it makes money. It's like um, I was a big fan of the first five seasons of Supernatural. It didn't need to continue on for another 10 like uh, as much as I, and I'm sure it's going to upset some people, but like from season one to season five, that's a complete story. Everything after that is just how can we milk this thing for as much as possible? And yeah. that always kind of bothered me because I was a huge fan and I just kind of like jumped off. But like, hey, if you can get that work for like 15 years, good mm-hmm. on you. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Rich wrote for the. Uh, oh, yeah. Supernatural. He wrote two episodes of Supernatural. Yeah, Asylum and the and what was the airplane episode he wrote? I forgot. Oh yeah, um, I forget what that one was called. But, but, but I really, I really enjoyed both the Rich episodes. Yep. Uh, and we talked to him about that a little bit. Um, let's see, Debris. Have you seen Debris? It was a newer show. Uh, I have not. I I saw the trailer for it. Uh, the previews for it didn't look like anything I would be interested in. So I'm gonna beam that thing right out of here. All right, Robert, what did you think of it? Because we had a friend who podcasted about it because it was uh, related to Fringe. And I, I really, and I, I would say a, a strong like it on Debris. Uh, what are my different ones? I would say like. I mean, I certainly didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, I, I saw, I think, the problems going in where so many people said that there's these great connections with the cast and they're, they're showing all their emotions and whatever else. And it's fantastic. I loved all the sci-fi. I thought the sci-fi and it was fantastic. I loved every single bit of that, but no, it actually was like the interactions of the cast didn't get it for me. Mm. And, uh, and been, I'm probably not in the, in the minority on that. Cause it only lasted one season. Right. So not that there weren't some really good shows out there that were one season, but Maybe right. cool shack. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh I think like with certain networks, uh, with the way that shows just they don't seem to last very long on certain networks like NBC, ABC, CBS is a little bit better than both of them, but like the the shelf life of those shows is not very long. Um yeah, and yeah. it it is just I, I had kind of given up on those networks. Those networks know what draws viewers in. And every time it tries to go out and do something different, uh, it just doesn't work out, whether that's because like the show is not that good to begin with, which um, kind of like Heroes had a good premise for about a season. And then it's just like, cool, what do we do with it? We don't off know. The rails, big yeah. time on Heroes, that's for sure. Yeah. 
but but like yeah nbc is like that even like sci-fi channel is notorious for that kind of stuff like yeah they've had some of the most iconic science fiction shows of uh, you know the last couple decades like you know Battlestar Galactica you can't you can't not get props for that because it was so amazing amazing um Mm -hmm. and um they they had the expanse until they stupidly didn't realize how great it was but like yeah it's just with certain networks I've given up on taking on their new programming they know what they do well The, the NBC knows that they do law and order they they uh they do like some other like you know kind of procedural stuff good for them uh as you know abc they're great with sitcoms so is cbs cbs can't seem to get like sci-fi right like um like under the dome like cool it is a cool book that it's based on but like totally lacking in the execution so yeah i definitely avoid networks when it comes to new shows yeah or even cbs would like the twilight zone reboot which mm-hmm. i think had bright spots but ultimately i think it sort of fell flat on, on a lot of episodes yeah uh, i agree but uh and robert you'd probably have more to say about that than i would no no it's okay keep going um let's say star trek the original loved it absolutely loved it it was i, I think it was a show that was ahead of its time totally ahead of its time and bonus question on that is, uh, which one's your favorite Star Trek, I guess, out of all of them? I'm a next-gen guy. Always love next-gen. Um, I I was young when I, because I did see, like, you know, the original episodes syndicated. Uh, but uh, I got to see Next Generation as it was, you know, airing. And, like, they had Wesley Crusher, and, like, I was young, so... He was impressionable on me and he seemed to like the fuck up quite a bit. So, you know, that was another thing that I, that I enjoyed, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was definitely a, a next gen guy. I, if I, I would say deep space nine almost goes above that for me, but yeah, definitely a next gen guy. Okay. Okay. So the original star Wars trilogy. Oh, absolutely loved it. I was obsessed with it when I was a teenager and it was the first time I ever saw it because uh, that was when they were starting to do the special editions. So um, after I had seen The Empire Strikes Back, that was the first Star Wars movie I'd ever seen. I didn't even see A New Hope first. I saw The Empire Strikes Back. I was like, holy hell, this is amazing. So pretty much every week I was renting Star Wars and watching it. Um, back when we had video rental stores. That's yeah, a crazy I, thought. I think I found the gold box that my mom got it for me at a yard sale. I was six or seven mm. and i binged them all in one night man i still think return of the jedi is my favorite and then i played the thought man if these are fun let me play the super nintendo games and god those were <laughs> the hell out of you. Yeah. they were terrible they were terrible. they were they were you know like cash grab games are ugh, they're just they're generally yeah. bad i mean look at what happened to et we all know what happened to et oh, yeah, e. which... ended up in a landfill eh, it's yes, terrible yes um the mandalorian what, what about the Mandalorian, the new series? I absolutely love it. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. It's just like you, you, you literally, they literally just said, Hey, let's do a, a Star Wars Western. And, oh. and, and, and to me, 
what I love is like, you know, it's definitely, it definitely wears its influences on its sleeve. It's, it's got its Western influences. It's got its Kurosawa influences and it totally wears it on its sleeve and it does a great job executing it damn near every single time, you know? So, and to me, it shows, uh, I, I don't think like shows like WandaVision or, um, you know, any of the Marvel stuff that uh, Disney plus is doing right now, I don't think it would have been even like received as well. If the Mandalorian hadn't been there at, at the start of this thing executed yeah. so well uh, to kind of lead the way. So yeah, I just, I absolutely love the Mandalorian. I've, I've gone back and watched it like two or three times all the way through. Oh point. yeah, it's great. Uh, especially love watching the behind the scenes stuff. How they're changing the way they shoot it with the actual the ambient lights and stuff. I really love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Two thousand one Space Odyssey. Oh, absolutely love it. Absolute, oh, yeah. absolute classic. You you really can't go wrong with it. No, no Alien. Oh, how can you not love Alien? Especially the first one. Like, yeah, my absolute favorite scene is when they're you know running through the ducks and you see the alien like it's got its oh, arms yeah. out in that duct and you're like. That thing totally just wants a hug right now. That's all it wants. It wants a hug. It doesn't want to kill you. It needs a hug. Go, go, go hug it. They did make kids, kids, uh, toys out of it that I think yeah. they were calling. So, Hey, you know, who knows? Close encounters of the third kind. I absolutely love it. It, it is to the UFO researcher. I think that film is iconic in very many ways because I don't think it's a film, uh, necessarily for the lay person. That's, uh, you know, interested in, in in UFOs or aliens. I think it's really meant for the diehard that that enjoys UFO cases. Not that they can enjoy that film because they totally can, but if you look into this stuff, you can see how influenced Steven Spielberg was by actual UFO cases. Yeah. I dig dig it, man. Uh kind of here's one that I probably don't have a, a my my opinion is probably a beaming on this. Signs. Oh, I have trashed signs so many times. Yeah, I'd on my by. podcast. <laughs> beam that that out of here. Just no. It's it's <laughs> like Shyamalan does this thing where like he has to have this gotcha moment. He has to have this denouement in every single freaking film that is just like it's not a good signature. A twist is not a signature to me. A twist is just a plot element. It's not a, a, a plot twist should not be your personality when it comes to directing films. And like, I think M night Shyamalan needs to get the hell over that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I mostly, I put that in there cause I knew it, it sort of got you. So <laughs> I slipped that one in there. Uh, what about the thing? The, uh, the carpenter thing. Oh, absolutely. Love it. You, E.T. Uh, love it. Absolutely. Uh, men in black i have such a fondness for men in black even the second one love the second one despite its its flaws i mean how can you not go wrong with a with an alien called a balchinian i just gotta say how can you go wrong with that oh no and the last one on my list is mars attacks absolutely love it like i that movie as a teenager when it came out scared the ever-living crap out of me i was terrified of those aliens but it like for an all-star cast like that it was just so well done all right rob i'll let you oh. rob, robert i'll let you take over on your list i love it that they scared you 
Yes. No. Because those... as as an adult, it was all just ridiculous. Right. So it, it was. It, other other than the scene when they like killed everybody, um, you know, that's or am I getting that mixed up with Independence Day? I'm getting mixed up with Independence Day. Anyway, I killed a lot of people in that one scene. Was it? Yeah. When yeah. they're up on the on, on top of the skyscrapers, right? And they're yeah. So that is like, Mars attacks. Okay. Also, the sound of that gun also scared the hell oh, out of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not sure if you've seen this, but if you are Star Wars and and whatever, you've probably seen this. Resident Alien. God, I love that show so much. It is it's the so, best. It is so good. Like this, I I honestly think this is the best thing that the Sci Fi Channel has had in years. It's yep. so well done. Alan Tudyk is so freaking amazing in that show i just love yeah, it so much it's really good and i i love the whole native american side of everything that they yes. play up yes. and and not do lip service to i i love yeah. that part of it what yep. about what about some old school v do you I have think, you seen that i think v was amazing I, I loved it just like i saw it you know when i was an adult but like you know the themes that it played with are ones that are all over the UFO community, especially in like the the fringier side of things, the more problematic side of things. But like, uh, it is cool to see that like kind of before that became a big thing in the UFO community. Here's this you know show about some shape shifting aliens that that are reptilian kind of things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that right. was cool. Right, Starman, Jeff Bridge, Jeff Bridges. I liked it. I I don't I don't love it, but I you know it's. It's a good film. I do enjoy it. Some people just seem to love it. I was kind of the same way. It was just yeah. more of a like. Have you seen The Hidden with Kyle MacLachlan? No, but I, I, when I looked at this list, I was intrigued, and I'm going to have to go. See Strongly this. recommend it. Yeah. Strongly recommend it. Um, 1954 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Absolute classic. Just really well done. Uh, do we know uh, what the Kevin McCarthy connection is to the Twilight Zone? No, I I don't. Bradley, should So he he is in the uh, one with Billy Mooney. Um, oh, the one where the kid sends people out into the field. Yeah, yeah. He's oh. one. Of, he's one of the people there, and I think he may even reprise a role um, in the the Twilight, Twilight Zone movie that was done in the eighties. Oh so yeah, that, I may have true. some of my, my my information wrong on that, but. Um, I really like that. So then we got the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland. No, oh, absolutely love that too. That, was that great. is incredible. Great remake. Great remake. Very uh, strong Stranger Things influence. Uh, mm-hmm. That that was influenced by that too. Here's a here's a tough one. Real Men with Jim Belushi and John Ritter. I've never seen it. Never oh, seen it. I, I think you, you I told you about that, that, Bradley. And I've seen parts of it, and I still haven't. It's on a list somewhere on a Google Doc that I said I'd go back and watch it. And I've seen, like, the scenes on YouTube, the funny scenes, but I haven't watched it yet. I think you can just watch it on YouTube. I think they play the whole thing that's on that. And there's there's barely even an alien influence, but it's a great, great film. Hey, did you um, see the, did you see the Body Snatchers, the 93 version that was the another remake? I think it took place in Alabama. I did not see that one. No, I didn't either. I remember, I remember it came out, but I, I didn't know. see that one. You, you um, Mom and Dad Save the World. Terry Gar, Jeff Jones, and John Lovitz. I, I remember seeing this. Like, <laughs> man, uh, I don't remember much about it, but uh, yeah, it's just like, 
I don't even know. I don't even have an opinion on it. It's been a long time. <laughs> That's okay. It's worth a look. Yeah. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the movie. I have a fondness for it. And I know a lot of people don't like it as much, especially those that uh, absolutely love the books. But I think the casting is great in that film. And I think that I think they did the best that they could with it because I don't think the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is necessarily an easy book to adapt but i think Not they did all. i think they did a good good job with it so i i absolutely love it yeah well you know i mean it's started off as a, a live radio show mm-hmm. um before it was really even a novel right right um alien nation i enjoyed alien nation i liked it mm-hmm. but yeah. that was a good one so james james con and mandy patinkin right yep yep um here we go now they live absolutely oh, freaking classic absolutely my classic. Uh, how can you how can you not like uh it's got roddy 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 piper in it. like yep. how can you how can you go wrong with that uh, see I, I think that is one of the i know it's still a bit of bit of wrestling yeah. but i that is one of the best fight scenes that i yes. think i just love it like yes. put the glasses on <laughs> that's yep. what they're fighting about <laughs> just beating the crap out of each other there's so many ball shots you know with, yes. with your elbow and into the crotch yes just just hilarious and i thought the cool thing i didn't know this until we were just recently talking to mark dewidziak about the android episode on kolshak that the uh original story for that is called eight o'clock in the morning and that was written by one of philip k dick's best friends ray nelson oh, and no so kidding. who it was another sci-fi writer but that's his his big claim to fame is having that movie adapted and i think he wrote that probably in the 60s you know and then they finally made the movie in 88 Mm -hmm. rob are you a wrestling fan oh yeah i grew up with wrestling like i remember watching the first monday night raw when i was nine years old and a man after my own heart we'll have to have you on for with because rodney's a wrestling fan are you jumping segways? What are you doing, bro? I'm, I'm just bringing up wrestling. You continue there. Sorry, he can't. He can't handle wrestling. If it jumps in, it's just it's just all all it's bets are off. Down. Uh, yeah, go all ahead. Go bets ahead. Are off. Predator. Absolutely, I absolutely love it. I I mean it. Like that's a film that you watch with your very broy friends, and like oh, yeah. you know, you just you're just repeating you're repeating lines like. Ain't got time to bleed. Ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like ridiculous, so freaking ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna make me bleed my own blood. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. It's really great. Um, the I didn't even think about this as an alien movie until the end. Yeah, but the abyss. Oh, absolutely great. Just Good. a great film like from top to bottom. Yeah, that I mean the the scene with um you know Ed Harris. Mm-hmm. In uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, I think is how you say her name. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> killing each other essentially to <laughs> yes. be able to resuscitate them later. Yes, and that was that was amazing. I, yep. And you know him him catching his ring in the the door that ends up kind of like trapping him but saving him. And I, I love that movie. So mm-hmm. now I say uh, my personal favorite out of all these, believe it or not. Is I, I heart this movie so much, District Nine. I think How do you District feel about Nine that is, one? District Nine is I I think it's honestly one of the most underrated films. Yeah. Uh, like people sleep on on how good this is, and I think 
I think a lot of it just comes down to like the found footage kind of feel to the movie, which mm-hmm. I think adds a great element to it of like, this is uh, we're, we're experiencing these aliens in real time. And, you know, it, it's the, the world building is so unique in that film. Oh man. And it just like, how bonkers and out of control that story gets is just so great. But yeah, I absolutely love district nine. Well, in, in, uh, Chartol Copley, I think is how you yeah. say his name. Yeah. He, he was interviewed on the Nerdist podcast and mm-hmm. they, at that point, they were thinking of trying to make it a TV series, mm-hmm. make it like a six episode, seven episode TV series. You know, when he finally comes back and all that kind of stuff, I, I don't think it's ever going to get made, but no. man, I would just, I, I would just kill to see that movie. Yeah, uh, see, see the remake of that, or not the remake, but you know, a sequel or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just like I, I don't understand the people that hate this film. I really don't because there, I like talk to a lot of people. Why? They're like, I hate this movie. It's like, why? It's so good. It's so unique. Like even for the genre that it's in, it is so damn unique and right. and, and interesting. Like, how can you, how can you not love this film? Yeah, I think I, I think that if you know if you look at the bigger messages of taking care of an impoverished you know population mm-hmm. and mistreating them and that yeah. type of stuff, you've got that, and that's really kind of off putting. Yes. But then you you do what good sci fi does is now you take your character who you know you you weren't all that sympathetic about, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden, man, you're super sympathetic about him. Yes, and, uh, but oh yeah, love that movie. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, that's one I'm probably just gonna have to own because I, I need to see that again often. Never seen it done, so I guess I need to put it on my watch list. Ooh, yeah, yeah Bradley. Okay. It's it, 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 I don't know, dude. I think it'll. I mean, now am I right, Rob? Was it wasn't it Peter Jackson that uh, that directed that? Maybe. I think I, it yeah, was. It could have been. Uh, well, it's nah, all, it's I'm all gonna have the to. Phones. Yeah, gotta go to the phone. Gotta go to the phone. Directed by Neil Blomkamp. Hmm. Is Jackson in there anywhere? Uh, yeah. He is in there oh yeah, Blomkamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he did something with it. He's definitely on here. I think he may have produced it. Yeah, he may have produced it. Are you trying to roundabout get me with the Beatles and and Peter Jackson? <laughs> no, no, not at all. And. I'll, I'll I'll take up some Beatle action with you here just for a second because, you know, I'm a big fan, and I definitely watched oh, at least I don't know what it was like two hours or so straight all the way through, and uh, I thought it was really fun. But still, like it, it kind of got the end. I was like, ah, man, I don't know if I can go back to all that again. Like I need just a little bit more editing to like see some other scenes, but I, that's still something I'll probably keep watching though. Of course mm. I say that <laughs> and my, my uh, Disney membership is whatever is going to subscription is going to end real soon. So I need to get on it because I'm not going to renew that. Oh man. I, I could, I could. And I, I think I, t- who did I talk to Mark DeWoods? Yeah. He taught, he said that he, he felt like his Darren McGavin interview wasn't good because there's clanging plates. Now, now I could listen to that no matter what, and I could watch right. the Beatles like just jam for 150 hours or have it. Mm. Just, just give me, just let me break it up a little bit. It's, a couple bathroom breaks, and I can watch the whole whole damn thing. You know what? What is amazing though, how if you look at the old footage of interviews with Harrison and McCartney, and even McCartney recently, 
they would always say, you guys don't read music, you know, but, but they have such a vast understanding of chord progressions and all these things that were, it's all just in their head because they played it so much. And, and yeah. you, you watch these YouTube videos of guys who are really good music theorists who are also good guitarists. And they'll talk about these songs that they've done and how they change their key signature so frequently, yeah. you know, within a song, it just blows my mind that it's, and it's all just by ear. They just like, ah, you know, change that. And then you listen to Paul, like calling out chords yeah. as they're playing in that, that first couple hours. So man, that was good stuff. Well, it's like when you look at the Beatles and, and you look at them as a, a, a progression as a band, it's just, they go from being this covers band. That's kind of, you know, right. they're good at what they do and they ultimately become like musical artists on their own, creating some of the most important, you know, music in history from like, you know, um, rubber soul and revolver all the way up to, you know, let it be and stuff. And right. those, those records are, uh, incredibly important and and that's to say the stuff that came before it isn't but it's just like those solidify those define who the beatles are more than uh the albums that came before it well Br- bradley you will probably need to know that despite me knowing it would not help me win my speech contest my ninth grade speech contest where i got into the finals and the three of us went in front of the entire school and we gave our speeches. Mine was about the Beatles and oh, really? how, how awesome. Oh yeah. And I had some professors the professors had some teachers later who I didn't even know, um, come up to me. It's like, you really should have won like that. It was and but they were more of the age to get the Beatles where I could see looking at my audience, my peers, they were like, forget this man. Yeah. Now I should have made it more exciting, but the guy who won, was a guy who was super smart and just told about his experience at his summer camp. And it was funny. Oh. It was always funny. And I'm like, Oh, come on. But yeah, they, they said, I evidently just didn't look enough over on the right side. I kept looking left. So who knows? But anyway, no, I'm a big, big fan. Where does that leave us? Bradley, Man, you since, know, since I'm a fan of this, what about a fan of that? Sorry. Doing a weak oh, segue. You're, doing, you're, oh, you're making fun of my segues here. <laughs> I believe I am. Hey, you know, speaking of something else you're a fan of, let's go on to this. Speaking of something else I'm a fan of astonishing legends. I wanted to ask you about the Christmas specials. Tell, tell me a little bit, a bit about recording that. Did y'all have a good time. What all did y'all discuss? Give a little people, a little teaser in case anybody else wants to go hear it. It's it's always good recording with those guys. So, you know, Micah Hanks, Jim Harold, Rich Haddam, uh, myself, guys from Astonishing Legends. We got together again. We did we didn't have Tess this time, unfortunately. She was uh uh I think she was uh flying home or something like that. But uh it it's always good to get together with those guys and just like go off on a topic or something like that because like it was it was very loosey goosey. There were we were plagued with like audio issues the entire time, and I think most of them were Rich's fault. But you know, uh, I think that's like par for the course with Rich because like I've recorded with the man multiple times, especially with Scott and Forrest, and uh, he gets to this point in the audio where like 
his audio will delay so badly and like his voice becomes so incredibly tinny that he sounds like some like robotic alien at some point. It's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And uh, it's just like, because he, he doesn't have this grasp of the technology or he just does not care. I don't know which one it is, but it's like Forrest has literally gone over to his home. It's like, okay, I'm going to troubleshoot all your tech issues. And it's just like, no, no, he's going to do it the way that he's going to do it, which is, you know, the, the rich way to do things. Uh, we recorded for something in the neighborhood of like over four and a half hours. And uh, yeah, by the end of the thing, I think we were just all like uh, um, we were all drained. But like it ended with uh, a, a very Forrest Burgess story and a story that I appreciate uh that you're all gonna get to hear and uh it's just it's good getting together with those guys because uh you know rich is drinking um forest when he records he records in this office space that he rents so it's just like the first like 30 minutes uh, of of being before we started record is just watching him try to find a background that he likes uh that he that he that he can put up in in uh in the software that he's using and he's just like tinkering with it and it's just like you really you really into this background here man i i dig it it's it's fun because you know everybody has their things everybody uh brings something different to the table and uh, there's a lot of great stories that were shared about uh you know uh Bigfoot, UFOs, and 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 stuff like that. So I, I think everybody's going to enjoy it. And one thing I've always noticed, the Rich, like, and I I, I think it's because his headphones eyes, but I'm always sort of yeah. self conscious, thinking that oh he he I think it's about time for Rich to go like somewhere, but somewhere near the end of the recording, something happens with his headphones, he'll have to swap, and then from the yeah. rest of the show, it's like, yeah, we're sitting here talking about the Spanish mall. Yes. And, and then I'm having to like in the post mix, like it's like I'm having to boost all that stuff because, yeah, we're just sitting here. Yeah. That right there, that scene right there with the where, where the swamp monster, he's there. Yeah. No, we, we did that. Uh, it was like the last 10, 15 minutes when we uh, when we recorded the uh, aerial school episode. Like it, it, things just started dying on. I'm like, oh God, here we go, here we go. I love it. Like, like Rich, it's always something unexpected with him. And yep. man, I, I, we're, I don't want to keep you too much longer. So what mm-hmm. we might go ahead and uh, call it quits for the night. But I definitely want to come, want you to come back and see. Maybe we can get Rich back too, and we'll talk about like rolling through the realms. Talk about a cold shack D and D, what that can entail, because that definitely seems like something that we need to dig into and talk mm-hmm. about. Because it's something I'm definitely would be interested in eventually if we can get james on board starting like having a a D campaign around coal shack or something hell yeah that, that's that's easy enough to do i'm uh i am part of a another podcast it's called the order podcast it's, it, it's not unlike uh a coal shack kind of deal basically uh the, the whole premise is that uh people with day jobs uh in their off time end up fighting these like supernatural creatures that somehow can break through this boundary and come into our world. And we pretty much have to kill them every time, but it, it, it gets into those uh, same kind of areas of here's a guy with a day job and he's got to solve all these paranormal problems. So uh, it, it's very similar. So yeah, if you've never listened to the, uh, the order of podcasters, we 
just wrapped our first season. There's like 20 some odd episodes in there. And uh, it's fun. I play uh, a character whose name is Myron Dripchin. Uh, It's uh, his best name ever. But uh, he's basically like George Norrie in in a lot of ways, just like a radio host who's very eccentric. And uh, uh, the the characters that uh, are on that show are just are just great. So, um, yeah, if you've never listened to it, uh, please go check out the Order Podcasters. It's it's a passion project. Is it you're calling the Order? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, okay. the order of podcasters. Because uh, the 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 group that we uh, work for is in a group called Ordo Veritatis, which mm-hmm. is like uh, the order of truth. So right. we are right. the order of podcasters because uh, we're all uh, every player had a podcast before they started. So yeah, order of podcasters. The truth is out well, there. Speaking of things that are true, Bradley. I know you want to say another segue, and I just wanted to jump in there and try to cut you off. So. <laughs> no, I just said the truth was out there. I was going to quote the X Files. So. <laughs> hey, hey, Rob, before we uh, before we head out, is there any uh, anything else we need to plug? What what what's your Twitter for everybody? Is it uh, is it your UFO guy? Let me see. Yeah, uh, you're spelled Y E R UFO guy. That's generally probably the best way to to keep up with what I'm doing. I usually post like some. Uh, whenever I have a new episode that drops or uh, if I come across some like quirky UFO case like Gondola Man, that's where you're going to learn about it. Uh, um, I, if you go there uh, and if you look at my profile, I've got a I've got a link tree that will take you to every single project that I'm a part of. So definitely go check me out on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at your UFO guy. Same thing. So, yep, you can find yeah. me out there. And just scrolling through, you can see, like, I'm looking at sitting there. Here's a, a picture you're talking about with the uh, aerial school landing. You talk about the rich. And you, the one I love about your Twitter is you post the actual pictures. Cause I hate when mm-hmm. people mention stuff and then you got to go dig through the internet trying to find stuff. Rob posts pictures. Like, if you, if you scroll through, here's the February 27th, 1993 Jefferson County police mm-hmm. unit finding, uh, Oh, here's another one. I don't the, the caption on this. Just these. I, it looks like these aliens just looking out from the craft, and two looking out to the left. Yeah, it's just like this one that's looking out. And it's like it looks so pissed off. Like, what is <laughs> what is its problem? It's got a really long neck. Are you upset about your long neck? I don't know, but like it, it's just like uh, I was. I forget what the heck I was. Uh, oh, it, it was when I was because um, I, I googled. Uh, pictures to include with the uh, aerial episode uh, of a bunch of the art that the kids uh, made for that. And like, it's fun to, to see what you stumble across when you're like, just like searching for these random images. So, you know, you follow them. And I found this like great article uh, of like, you know, five weird cases from Kentucky because Kentucky has a lot of weird cases. Um, And um, a bunch of weird people from, yeah, like, uh, he, he's right like kentucky you what gotta, about, uh, y- y'all are weird over there yeah, i don't you know need, you need you need goat man versus gondola man yeah oh so yeah you got the lynchville goat man who's nearby yes and uh, gondola man and i'm picturing in my mind considering the picture that bradley showed me is maybe a flip book of just a little like, stick figure <laughs> gondola man versus you know goat man and they can yeah. battle it out I mean, yeah. I, I think this this would be a uh, viral baby. It would go viral. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, our yeah, our strange guy. Sorry, you can keep going with that. I was just thinking of your other podcasts if you want to plug those. 
Yeah, I've got it's weird. I, I have four of them. One of them is uh, it's it's been on hiatus for a while just because uh, my co-host, uh, he, he's very busy with this job. He works in um, music marketing, so it's uh, it, it gets very tedious. But uh, yeah, Our Strange Skies is my is my main baby. Uh, I'm also part of a podcast called the the coda which is a music podcast which uh yeah we haven't put out an episode in about a year but uh no maybe maybe 2022 we'll, we'll get back to the table um uh the order of podcasters and rolling through the realms those are all the podcast projects that i work on right now yeah I dig it man dig it and we're talking about weird people from Louisville. i don't know i, I, I brought it up <laughs> no i brought it up to, to you robert and uh, I don't remember this guy. I posted something on Twitter about uh, Mark Woods actually releasing his new Cole Shack book, and we one of the one of the accounts we get a so the Mad Scientist. Idea who it is? So so the Mad Scientist podcast. I know you've done some episodes with them. They you they mm-hmm. like some of our stuff, and they'll they'll give us some love on Twitter. And we usually get like another paranormal podcast or television show podcast. Well, we got a like, and apparently somebody's pretty excited about the new Mark Woodsiak Cole Shack book called The Raincoat Report. So I thought, oh, I guess it's like a meteorology report. No, it's a vintage porn uh, uh, <laughs> podcast, <laughs> and he tells me about it, and I'm not, and I don't even look at the picture that he sends me. But I'm at work, and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool, man! I'll check it out." You know, and then he, he, he eventually it's like, "I don't think you really want to do that." And then, then I'm you know picking it up like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> the fact that they're from your home city of Louisville, like, like they, they might be right down the road from you. We could get a, a, uh, a, a, I, I live a in the there. weirdest part of Louisville. So, I mean, we literally have bumper stickers say, keep Louisville weird. So there is a really good chance. Yes. These people are probably somewhere nearby. Yeah. So we could yeah. do a crossover podcast. I don't, y'all could actually record it in person. If you wanted to the crossover <laughs> podcast there. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> tell you right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not going to happen. Well, oh. of course, you know, the, I love the raincoat thing because you guys probably know that um, the Brits call raincoats rubbers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. All makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and safe and I sex, don't know. everybody. Safe sex. I, I just want to bring that up with Rob here because me me and Robert actually haven't really had the time to talk about it because we just recorded that, what, like last uh, the last Friday. Yeah, I haven't really talked since then, so I, I don't know. That was just the strangest thing that I, because I'm scrolling through it at work too, and I was like on my break, and holy hell, like they posted all on Twitter. They they don't nothing, nothing's left, no stones left unturned on their uh, their page. Uh, it's interesting to watch the trolls that pop up on, uh, and the spam of accounts that pop up on Instagram because there's like there's a group of them that uh, when I go and look at. You know who's been watching my Instagram stories? There's always these accounts at the bottom. That's the 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 name of the account is uh, this woman wants a dick, and I'm like Jesus Christ. <laughs> and there's like multiple looking at oh, no, stories. I'm like, come on, Instagram, you got to get better about your your spam accounts here. <laughs> wow, that the the ending of this podcast went way off the rails. I don't speaking, know. What- speaking of someone who wants a dick. man so rob i gotta tell you this bradley quick. talk to us <laughs> Sorry. So keep rob, doing the, I, the deep cuts so rob i gotta tell you this we were doing a podcast with mark dewey and i set this up the whole time it was a sci-fi episode and i talked about stanley kubrick and he had talked about 
Philip K. Dick and I, and I, I oh. had this joke ready the entire time. And I, I, right at the end, I pulled it off. Mark, man, I think this is a good place to wrap up. We've had you long enough. Thank you so much for coming on. It's always good, especially talking science fiction. It seems like me and Robert can sometimes be one trick ponies. Uh, you know, I'm, I love Kubrick and he loves Dick and, uh, Oh, Philip K. Dick. Good Lord. Good Lord, man. And buddy, Mark Mark exploded with laughter. No, he didn't. He did, too. I got it. He didn't even respond. Oh, wow. No, 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 no. We got to go back to the video and double check for sure. Maybe I was just so pissed off that there was a thing. I think you're so mad that I, yeah, I got it right here. Now, I don't know. I'm, we'll, you're going to have to go back to the replay. We don't need to go there. No, it's okay. You're going to have to go back to the replay on that one, gents. You're yeah, just yeah, yeah. Have to. Of course, here, here I'm thinking like I was having this great, meaningful conversation with Mark about all these sympathetic characters and all this stuff. And he lays down whether you like Dick. <laughs> Damn, man. I'm sorry. I think he's, just, he's just mad we didn't cover all of his uh, connections to the cast. I think that's what hey, it was. What? Yeah, maybe. But anyway. Rob, <laughs> wow, we've we've went a, a see. This is why we call ourselves the loop. We come around because we're nuts. We'll come yeah. back. <laughs> well, hey, we're we're in, you know I think we're in, any friend of Rich's is a friend of ours, and uh, Rob really enjoyed having you on here. I'm gonna play it just just to play it because now, t- now you tell me if this is a laugh, Rob. You're the third. Is this the surprise? A pretty big laugh from, from okay. Yeah. I think he was reacting to me saying, "I'm just kidding." <laughs> Not to now you. it's gonna now it's gonna be a debate. Did he laugh at the joke or did he laugh at your reaction? I, well, here, you know? here's <laughs> oh man, I dumb. Yeah, and and there's also a running joke where we talk about. I always ask him about vampire movies, and there's one called Vampirus Lesbos, which is like the <laughs> yeah, erotica. Yeah. And well, he, okay. Every time he says, <laughs> well, he says he's never seen it. No, nope, never seen that one. And that's like a running joke just between me and Robert. I don't know because yeah, because yeah, it was the rapid fire. So Bradley's doing this, and and which I thought was funny because Mark has said so much about the the female vampire lore. I would think he really would have known that, and so it was like and Mark and so Bradley says vampires, Lesbos, and Mark goes, "Haven't seen it," and and Bradley's response was, "Well, okay, <laughs> so let down." Okay, <laughs> well, no, we I need. <laughs> <laughs> but every time every, I've listened back to that episode so many times and every time I hear it, man, I'm just like, Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. Hey Rob, thanks. Everybody go check out Rob's stuff. Uh, and they probably have no idea why we're laughing right now because we've cut all that out, but <laughs> go check or, out. Or, or we just mark it explicit and we go ahead and just roll with it, baby. Oh, we could, we could, but Hey Rob, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we look forward to having you in the future. We'll figure out something out with Rich. Definitely. Right. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, It's been a blast, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it really has, man. And uh, Our Strange Skies, definitely. I think we're going to title this Our Strange Skies over Cole Shack's Loop. Something like that. I thought that was a good name. What do you think, Robert? Is that a little I, I think that's pretty good. And, you know, for, for, for all things strange, you can find us in the loop. Oh, Robert, I like that. Hell yeah.